0: I will request for the sake of uh, saving more of the network uh, that I switch off the, I just wanted people to see the face. Let me, I'll try and switch off the, the, the video just to enhance the, the network. We, we are here today Uh, Honourable members will recall that we had uh, scheduled some of the issues according to what we thought that uh, were to be agent letters and um, some of those agent letters obviously we needed to bring them to the attention of the house chair for approval Uh, but some of them were identified and uh, the issue of the fuel hikes was one of those issues that were identified and uh, the need for some interventions to be made uh, we then needed just to see whether our request has been approved uh, and I must say that uh, we got the approval but other members will also recall that uh, subsequent to that we had uh, the crisis in Mozambique of the insurgency uh, with regards to the oil, the, the, the gas, um, and based on the fact that uh, at some point we were briefed by the department and uh, the entities, especially staff, that uh, there has been investment made on the gas pipeline from Mozambique to, to South Africa uh, in partnership with some of uh, the, the, the petroleum companies. So we had initially planned that uh, because of the matter uh, of what has happened, unfortunately on that, uh, when we, we had, uh, tried to interact with the office of the house chair, we then uh, interacted with the department of which um, a day, it was just a day or two when we finally had an interaction with the department. And they still had no information because there was the Saturday Troika meeting um, um, that was taking place, including the head of, which was the head of state, including the one, our own president, were part of that. So they had no information as yet with regards to what are the issues and and therefore we had to to reschedule so that a proper channeling of information including the issue of uh, uh, whether there are threats or not on the investment. All those issues that were related to the situation in Mozambique were still not yet processed. So we'll continue to have interactions with the department and where there is a need, we will again reschedule the matter. Uh, so we are now sitting with this one, uh, which we'll be dealing with today, uh, with regards to the issue of uh, the the fuel uh, uh, challenges, um, and uh, we might be having a longer day. I hope we we are ready uh, to do the work. Um, subsequently. Um, to that, we will then have the next meeting again, uh, uh, which has been a request again, we'll only explain at the end of the, this session of today. Um, we will have that meeting next week uh, with regards to other developments that have taken place since uh, we had gone to recess. Uh, having said so, honorable members, um, can I get any apologies?
1: Morning, Chair. Just the following apologies. Mrs. Malinga, who's attending an oversight visit with the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises. And then Mr. Langa and Mr. Zungula, who's attending prior commitments to this meeting, Chair. And then we also received an apology from the Minister of Resources and Energy, who is appearing at the Zonda debate. So those are the apologies.
0: Okay, thanks. I'm not sure. You must uh, whether it's me. Uh, I know sometimes where I'm sitting, there could be challenges of network. I'm not sure whether it's me, but uh, your background was not good, um, as far as uh, I listen to. You. Uh, if if it's really on your side, try and get a good spot um, for 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 this. Um. Okay, honorable members, I haven't received the, the Sorry,
1: I see Mr. Volmarans' hands up.
0: Yes, I'm seeing the hand of honorable Volmarans. Honorable Volmarans. Uh, good morning, Chair, and good morning all the other members and uh, colleagues. I'm just registering
2: an apology for myself uh, that I would uh, need to leave the meeting at 11 and uh, rejoin it uh, shortly after uh, my appointment at the medical
0: center. Okay. Uh, I take it that's the only apology that is being rendered to the meeting. Um, Having said so, honorable members, we have the program in front of us uh, for today, um, which is a, a presentation by the Department and then subsequently we will get a presentation by uh, uh, AA. My only issue, let me say this, I don't know, AA can, uh, so that uh, we, we, we can resolve that matter probably when we, when we arise we we only received or for me when i checked with the staff for the all of the weekend even yesterday we had not received the the presentation from aa we only received it now this morning now the the problem and i want members to if uh, it's reconsidered or they make an exception we can deal with the issue but Can we not deal with it now and deal with it when we arrive at that moment? But uh, normally, uh, which is what was in the correspondence, uh, the rule uh, or the instruction that we received was that all presentation must be received at least 24 hours before the actual date of of the presentation. So we'll have that dilemma, uh, so that honourable members can be able to familiarise themselves, go through uh, what is the end, and be prepared. If they need to do some mini research, uh, they can be able to do so. But uh, I must say, uh, the fault has not been on my side, and I assume it has also not been on the side of the, of the staff. Uh, but uh, we will deal with the matter when we come to the to the the to that presentation uh, by AA. Uh, I'm sure the department uh, is ready. DJ, I couldn't see him in the meeting. Oh, now I see. Welcome TG. Welcome DG, and your team. Uh,
3: the floor is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. <laughs> Greetings to yourself. Greetings to the honorable members of the Portfolio Committee, all the DDGs and directors that are in the call, our support staff from Parliament as well as the Ministry, and also the delegation from AA, our media houses, and all the parties or people that are in the in the meeting. Uh, Chair, I will be very brief. We have uh, a detailed uh, presentation that will be taking honorable members through uh, DDG Makubela together with uh, his uh, technical team. They will be taking honorable members through the presentation. Uh, Chair, I can just highlight a few points. Uh, Mine is just to indicate that uh, as we know that uh, as a country, we have a well-developed petroleum sector which uh, in the main uh, is being administered or run by the private sector. The petroleum sector made a contribution of about 8% uh, to the GDP, that is a contribution that uh, we are deriving from the sector. And it also employs around 100,000 workers, most of which are in the retail sector. It has a turnover of uh, over 360 billion rand. It pays over 72 billion rand in duties and levies. And it also, you know, have a, a capital expenditure of about 10 billion rand. A uh, chair and honorable members, as we are quite frankly aware that uh, South Africa has no proven crude oil reserves, then as a result, um, you know, we are heavily dependent on the importation of uh, crude oil for about 80% of uh, our fuel demand. The other 20% is contributed, uh, you know, by what we know as a synthetic fuel uh, fuels industry. That is mainly Sasol and uh, also Petro SA. Now, the DDG will be together with Mr. Mike, They will take honorable members in terms of the, the factors that are contributing quite immensely you know, on uh, fuel prices. And so I can just uh, enlist a few of them, then they will give uh, detailed information. Now, here we are looking at uh, the levels of international uh, crude oil prices, which is also one of the contributory factors. Now, the other aspect is the levels, levels of international refined uh, petroleum products, and also the levels of the rent uh, uh, us dollar exchange rate now we also have other factors you know as you know geopolitics issues also they play a role now the ddg will take the honorable members through the detailed presentation together with uh, uh, the team uh, ddg matruvela Uh, Can you unmute? Mr. McPovella? Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you
2: very much, uh, DG. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, honorable uh, chair, honorable members. I hope I'm audible. Uh, Chair, the presentation on the, on the basic fuel price will be delivered by Mr. Marke, uh, who is uh, responsible for uh, pricing uh, in the in the department. And I would request that uh, Mr. Rero assist us with the presentation. But before he starts, Chair, I think it's important for me To indicate that, uh, as the DG has indicated, there are a couple of factors that uh, impact on the crude oil price. First of all, what we're seeing now is what I would call a correction. A correction because uh, last year we had a drop in the prices of fuel because of COVID-19. There was a Demand destruction, which then followed, uh, you know, the which was followed by a drop in, in, in prices. But what we're seeing is a correction. One, two, there is a growing uh, resources super cycle that is developing. So the prices of commodities are going up, and uh, oil is also impacted by that. The, the other issue is that. Uh, you are now beginning to see also tensions in the Middle East that are actually, we thought that they'd come to the end, but it looks like they are growing. So those are some of the issues that are impacting on the crude oil price. And then maybe the last one before I hand over to Mr. Mark is the fact that OPEC, together with Russia, took a decision that they were going to cut Production in order to support higher oil prices. So, the expectation of OPEC is that the oil price must stay at $60 per barrel. And then, uh, you know, anything below that for them is unacceptable. So, whenever you see the oil price going below that, they then start talking about cutting production further. And uh, all of this is to make sure that they can also sustain their economies. With that, Chair, I would uh, request that I hand over to Mr. Market to take us through the PFP presentation. Thank you. Uh,
4: Thank you, DDG. Good morning, uh, honorable chair, honorable members, DDG, colleagues, and everyone in attendance. Uh, This is the outline of the presentation. Uh, these are the issues that we'll touch on, but just to by way of introduction to indicate that the basic fuel price itself is mainly the international effectors of our pricing formula. Part of that the uh, part of the part of the if you like uh, the pump price in South Africa, we have also the, the local factors. So I'll touch on both so that I give a full picture of what is happening with our our pricing in, in the country. Next slide please. Uh, throughout the world, globally, there are three formulas that can be used to calculate prices. This is what countries are using in the main. The first one is ad hoc pricing, uh, where the prices are set irregularly and there's no transparency. It's normally common in countries where they've got a lot of crude oil as a resource and they actually subsidize the prices. Uh, and then we have the second one, which is the formula based or automatic. Uh, pricing adjustment, which is what we are using in South Africa. Uh, is very transparent and is published on a regular basis. You can actually predict what is going to happen at the end of the month when we adjust the prices. So that's the most transparent mechanism. Then you also have the uh, situation where the prices are deregulated. Uh, Actually, the market will set the prices. Uh, For example, uh, the one in Australia, however, in situations like that, you also have the government coming in uh, to review uh, these pricing elements from time to time to make sure that they, there's no collusion on prices and to make sure that the, the companies that are selling fuel, they actually use the correct prices as published by pricing agencies. Next one, please. Chair, so in as far as South Africa is concerned, uh, the price of petrol is regulated at the pump price. So everywhere you go in the country, uh, when you you go and fill up your car, the price is regulated and set by the department by way of regulation in the government Gazette on a monthly basis. The diesel price, however, is not regulated. What the the department publishes on a monthly basis is a reference price for the wholesale list selling price. So that's what the the market will use to negotiate when they purchase diesel from each other. However, of course, when that price goes up, we've seen that even the pump price tend to to follow suit. But there are no regulation for the pump price of diesel. Paraffin is regulated at the single maximum national retail price. Uh, One litre of paraffin throughout the country will cost the same prices at retail level. Uh, We we decided uh, to have the average uh, transport cost for the whole country when we price LP gas, I mean IP and we'll also notice that as far as IP is concerned, there are no fuel levies, there are no taxes and so on, uh, mainly because the decision was taken to say paraffin is used by the poorest in our community. Therefore, uh, they don't, it doesn't have to attract uh, these taxes. Liquid petroleum gas, we started regulating it at the uh, um, maximum retail price and uh, refinery gate price in 2010 and uh, that has been the situation since last year july when we then moved from uh, the refinery gate price that was based on 93 octane then we moved to the international price based on the saudi contract price that was implemented from last year in july then to emphasize that the, the basic fuel price itself is actually based on the import parity principle so In our case, we assume that we import every single petroleum product that is sold in the country. That is why we have what is known as a deemed pricing. Because we have refineries in South Africa. We have about four crude oil refineries. We have the gas-to-liquid plant owned by Petro-SA. We also have the coal-to-liquid plant owned by Sasol and Secunda. All those contribute to the production of petroleum product in the country. But when we price our petroleum product using the BFP, we assume that we do not have these refineries. And the main reason for that was also to remain competitive with other refineries. Uh, But also now the situation becomes more relevant today when most of the refineries are on a a shutdown and we're importing finished products. So we do not have to change the formula because already we are using import parity pricing. South Africa is divided into 54 pricing zones. We call them medicinal district zones when it comes to the pricing of petrol. And each zone will have its own price based on the transportation cost uh, of bringing product to that particular zone. Then you have uh, the mode of transport. The cheapest mode of transport is the pipeline because you can bring uh, big volumes of petroleum product in millions uh, to the inland market, for example, to the 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 new multi-product pipeline. Then it's followed by rail, uh, the rail charts that bring product also from the coast to the inland market and also to our International Airport. Then the least cost mode of the, the, the most expensive mode of transport is the trucks. But also, it will also depend on the distance. If you transport by trucks for longer distance, it becomes uneconomic, but for shorter distance, it can be economic. So, it will depend on where the product is required. In some places, you may use a combination of the different modes of transport. In some cases, you may use just one mode of transport. Mr. Marquet. Mr.
0: Marquet. Chair? Mr. Marquet. Yes, Chair.
5: Mr. Marquet. I can hear you, Chair. I can hear
3: the chairperson. Oh. I'm sure he was trying to advise that uh, try to increase the
6: pace, Mr. Macken.
4: Oh, okay. Thank you, DG.
6: No, no, he's lost. He's lost in the meeting. He we ca- he just left, so it's not uh, the pace. It's just that the chairperson is out of the meeting. Oh.
3: No thanks, Honorable uh, Vegas.
0: Uh, Hello. Hello. I I suspect it's maybe it's my it's my it's my network that is a problem, ne?
6: Yes, it is, chair
0: Oh, sorry, Mr. continue, then it means the problem is on my side. I'm trying to locate a
4: better Please continue. OK, thank you, Che. Uh, the last one is the cost recovery, which is a pass-through cost. Uh, because of the regulated price, uh, the pump price is regulated. So if there's any introduction of any levy or any cost into the pricing structure, it's then passed through to consumers. Next slide, please. Uh, Just quickly, Chair, to just highlight some of the the mandates, the the regulation that gives the department mandate to do what we are doing on fuel price. Of course, the white paper on energy policy, the Petroleum Product Act is the main one. Then you have the Petroleum Product Pipelines Act and the the Levis Act. Next one, please. Yeah, in as far as the, the BFP is concerned, let me just explain that the bfp is actually defined when you get the product from the international refining centers and you bring it to south africa at the port of entry and that's where the bfp ends so the cost associated with importing that finished product until it's, it lands in south africa that's the basic fuel price or the ipp import parity price however to move that pro, that product to the to the market where it's required by consumers. That's when we then go to the local factors, which will be a storage or transportation and so forth, which I'll cover in the the next few slides. In 1994, Central Energy Fund was given a mandate by a cabinet to actually be the one that hosts the fuel pricing uh, uh, formula on behalf of the department and is governed by the DFP working rules and self publish these prices on daily basis uh, on their website. And on the last Friday of every month, they work together with the department and independent auditors uh, to finalize the fuel prices for the following month before, before the prices are approved by the minister. Next slide, please. Yeah, I just touched on the BFP working rules. This is actually what governs and what explains how the prices are calculated in South Africa. Uh, BFP in that, in that uh, rule, in those rules is stated that the prices will be adjusted on the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, however, the price are announced the previous Friday. So the last Friday of every month, that's when the minister uh, will then approve and make announcement on the new prices. And the following Wednesday, the prices will then be implemented. However, if there's a public holiday in between the two dates, then the announcement date is brought backward. For example, last month, because the Friday was a holiday and Monday was a public holiday, so the prices were then announced or adjusted on the, on the Wednesday. In terms of the, the importance days, in April every month, every year, we adjust the transport tariffs. This uh, comprise of the pipeline tariff from NERSA, published by NERSA, and also the road transport tariff published by the, the Road Freight Association. Then the fuel levies, the, the road accident fund, as announced by Minister of Finance, will also then be included in the pricing structures. In September, we adjust the salaries for the people working at the forecourt, that is your petrol attendants and the, uh, and the cashiers and some administrators who are mainly involved in the dispensing of petrol. And this comes from the collective bargaining uh, council under Mbico Motor Industry Bargaining Council. Once they've agreed, and the the new wages uh, are, are then gazetted by the Minister of Labour and Employment, then the Department will implement in the pricing structures. In December every year, we adjust all the industry margins. It's once-off adjustment. The wholesale margin, retail margin, secondary storage, secondary transport will all be adjusted in December. And then on a quarterly basis, we do what is known as quarterly uh, octane differential adjustments. Uh, this is done so because when we adjust prices every every month, what we get from pricing agencies is mainly the 95 octane. They don't have 93 in their pricing uh, that they, they they published. So we use 95 for two months, and then on the third month, because we have 93 in the country, we normally adjust for the octane differential. And that's also stated in the the working rules. It's normally around 1.5 to 2 cents, uh, that particular adjustment. So you'll see that for the two months, the changes on the petrol price will be the same. For the third month, it will be different for 95 and 93 octane, because then we take care of the octane differential adjustment. Next slide. These are all the components chair of the basic fuel price. So these are the costs associated with shipping, with buying and shipping of petroleum product from wherever you source it until it lands in South Africa. That is before you take it to the market. So I'll go in in detail on each of these uh, elements in the next few slides. Next one, please. The first one chair is the free on board. This is actually the cost of buying the, the, the product itself uh, until it's landed on a vessel and it's ready to be taken by the, the client to wherever it's required. That's why we call it free on board. And then we are using PLAT as a pricing agency because they are very uh, good in terms of the petroleum product prices. They are used worldwide. Uh, there are other pricing agencies like Agas, which is good on LPG and other products. Bloomberg mainly on the financial markets and so on, but for pricing purposes, we're using PLATS as a pricing agency. Uh, Central Energy Fund will a, a, a subscription with them where they then obtain these prices. Then for the purpose of our calculation chair, we're saying 50% of our petrol come from the Mediterranean in, in Italy, and 50% comes from Singapore. Then for diesel, 50 come from Mediterranean and 50 come from the the Arabian Gulf. And then for IP, 50% come from the Med and the the balance, the other 50% will come from Singapore. And we'll explain when we go further because these are known as the, the reference markets, the big refining centers. Next slide, please. So this is just a map to show you where these uh, refining centers are located. And I must emphasize, this is mainly for finished product. This is the, these are the centers where they, they refine finished product. They've got a lot of storage facilities and everybody, uh, the world globally, they purchase product from there. We have other in, in, the, in Europe, in Rotterdam, but it's a little bit far from us. And most of the people who are supplying South Africa buy from these three main centers. Next one, please. the next element of BFP is is what is known as the freight, which is the, if you like the transport cost of bringing product by vessel from point A to point B. So this is actually obtained from uh, a book published by London Tanker Brokers Panel. These are the the people who own these vessels and these ships that uh, carry petroleum product. They publish these prices every year once off. So once you have that price, it stays in the fuel price structure for the, for the rest of the 12 months until it's adjusted the following month. We are using the, the vessel size, the, the mid-range vessel, which is around 35 to almost 40,000 tons because of our harbor, the configurations of our port of entry. So these are the vessels that, are, that will be able to, to bring product to South Africa. And as I've indicated, uh, the freight is calculated based on where the product is coming from. So we'll have it based on 50% of petrol coming from MED and 50% coming from Singapore. Uh, and, and the same will happen with diesel and IP as discussed. The other element uh, or cost that is included on, on on freight is 15% premium, which is added to the freight. This is another uh, number that is... Uh, always being being discussed because uh, we don't know the origin of this number. Uh, Our investigation says uh, it was included because during the time that the BFP was developed, there was uh, this view that uh, it's costly to bring product to South Africa because of the situation at the time. So the shippers and the consumers decided, I mean, the shippers and the the deadlines decided to add a 15% premium. So this is something that we are reviewing from time to time to see whether it's still relevant or not, uh, Chairperson. Next slide. This uh, The ocean loss is actually evaporation. Uh, because we are dealing with the chemical product, as you transport them over a period of time, they, they tend to evaporate. So include that cost when you calculate the prices. The cargo juice is the, the, the tariff that you pay to use our harbors is determined by the National Post Authority on my a yearly basis. Next slide. Next slide. Thank you. Uh, the demerge, uh, this is really the, the time that the, you spend before you can load or offload product. Remember that because you are going to rent or hire these vessels, the owners of these vessels, they'll charge you for the days that you are using the vessel. So as you go and load the vessel and when you offload it, those times are also included on the cost. So normally they'll have a a contract with you. In the contract, they'll give you what is known as late time. So they give you allowance of certain days to load and offload the product. However, when you arrive in in a destination, you may find that because of port congestion or any other factors or the weather condition, you're unable to offload the product within those days, then you'll have what is known as demarage. These are these are days additional to the contract that you have. So in South Africa, we only make allocation for three additional days. So in our pricing formula, we have three days for demarrage, which is then included in case of these delays when you try to offload product once you have arrived in South Africa. Next slide, please. Next slide. Thank you. Once the product arrives in South Africa, once the product arrives in South Africa, it has to be stored in a storage facility before it goes to the market. And that's why we have an element of coastal storage. in our pricing formula, after a lot of consultation and discussion, it was agreed that we were allowed for 25 days of storing products in those coastal storage before it goes to the market. And that is also costed and included in the formula and also the price of the product itself. So there are two elements there. It's the price for the storage itself and also the, 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 the price for financing that stock that will be sitting in those tanks. Next slide, please. These are the factors that influence the the basic fuel price, in particular, the import price, so to say. The first one is the DGS, highlighted, is the international prices of crude oil, uh, which is determined by OPEC, Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. So when it goes up, generally, the price of finished products follow that. And when it goes down, the same will happen. Then you have the international product supply demand balance. So it depends on what is happening in the big uh, the big consuming countries like the USA, the Ch- China, and so on. If there's situations there, demand that they consume particular product as opposed to the other one, that will then also impact the availability of that product in the market, and generally the the market sentiment will also then price the product accordingly. You have product inventory levels. This all, mainly in the USA and the uh, recently in China as well, because they've got lots of storage facility to store in particular uh, a crude oil that they can use in their own countries. And uh, they normally draw from this storage, this, uh, storage uh, inventory stocks if they don't want to save the price in the market is too high and they don't want to buy them in the international market. They draw from their own stock and then replenish the stock at a later stage. So the the, the, the market is actually following what is happening in those countries because once they draw the, the stock from the, the tanks, it means at a later stage they'll need to refill that stock and the market will also price crude oil accordingly. The issue of geopolitics also mentioned by the DG. Uh, the petroleum uh, crude oil in particular is found in, uh, in the Middle East in the main, 65% or so is situated in the Middle East. And this is the region where there are a lot of Uh, There are a lot of uh, interest, you know, other countries are having a lot of interest there, very unstable, mainly because of the oil that is sitting there. So once anything happens there, it affects the supply to the market because all these countries that are members of OPEC that are sitting there, they they produce a certain amount of uh, crude oil to the international market. And once that country is cut off from supply, then it creates a shortage in the market. Then obviously, it has an impact on the price of crude oil. The rand dollar exchange rate it fluctuates and changes on a daily basis, and that is also factored on the on the on the price. Then you also have the international refining margins, of course. That is also taken into consideration, especially these main refining centers, depending on the margins that they are getting. Sometimes they may feel that they are not getting a good margin and they want to adjust that margin. So it will have an impact on the price of finished product. The last one, we have the weather patterns in the north, this the southern hemisphere. We know that in the northern hemisphere, normally the winter is very cold. Uh, They consume a lot of uh, middle distillate, in particular gas and so on. Uh, during the winter for space heating. That's, that has an impact on the price of uh, on the price of diesel. Similarly, when they move to summer, they start to consume a lot of petrol, and that has an impact on the supply and demand of petrol in the international market, and hence the price will be different. Next slide, please. So this is just a summary of all the, uh, the elements of the, of the BFP. All of them, as you can see, Che, they've got a cost, and we've already used uh, conversion factors to convert them into, into rents or cents per liter. Now, all of these, Che, these are things that we cannot really tamper with because they are published by international uh, pricing agencies. So the price of lending product to South Africa under the basic fuel price that, that is something that we cannot change. That's why sometimes we say we're a price taker. We cannot do much. We're referring mainly on the basic fuel price, which is the BFE import price. Now I'm going to the next slide, which now I'm start talking about the local factors. The local factors are really determined by the South African government, whether Department of Mineral Resources of Energy, Ministry of Finance, or Port Authority, those are the local factors. The first one that I want to start with is the petroleum product levy, uh, which is then determined by the Minister of Energy in concurrence, uh, Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy with concurrence with the Minister of Finance. This has to do with the the tariff that the shippers of the petroleum products from Deben to the inland market pay to Transnet. And then they claim from NERSA. And when they claim from In fact, they claim from the department, but then they must submit a letter from NERSA to say they've shipped that particular product, and then they get reinvested for for that cost. As I said, because of uh, the the cost, the the, the pass-through cost, because of the regulation. But it also helped that NERSA to actually operate, because part of the the levy goes to the operation of NERSA, particularly the, the section that deals with petroleum product, regulation of petroleum product. The IP tracer dye levy, uh, this is the small, small amount of money that is paid, uh, is levied on diesel uh, to try and prevent uh, adulter- adulteration. That is the mixing of diesel uh, with, uh, with paraffin. So the dye is actually, the, the, the wholesalers are required by law through SARS. It's, it's done by SARS, and we work with them all the time. So the dice actually they put inside, inserted in the, in the diesel tankers. And uh, if there's mixing with diesel, it will change color. And then the service inspectors will be able to detect that there's a mixing of, of diesel and, and, uh, and IP. And the main reason why people will do that is because there are no taxes and levies on, 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 on IP. And they can actually use that uh, to mix diesel and IP and sell it as diesel. So there's a loss to the fiscals in terms of those levies. Slate levy is actually for the cumulative under recovery by the industry. Remember that our fuel price is adjusted at the beginning of every month. So we don't know what happens in that particular month until we've gone through the month. So we set the price at the beginning and then the oil companies go to the market, source the product to make sure they supply the country up, up to the end of the month when we change the prices again. So we are using averages in our calculation. We use the average for the month compared to the average for the previous month. But when the industry goes to the market, they don't pay an average price. They pay the actual price. Now, if the price were to increase for three or four consecutive months, it means there's some cumulative under recovery because of the fact that we are using averages and they're paying the actual price. So that cumulative under recovery is then used as is then used as a slate, right? So we have a slate account itself. Now that slate account is used for that. If the if there's under recovery, cumulative under recovery by the industry that is below that threshold of minus 250 million rand in that account, then we'll introduce a levy on the fuel prices. There's a self-adjusting slate mechanism that introduces that levy. But as I'm saying to you now, currently, the slate levy in the pricing structure is zero, uh, because the, the money in the, in the slate balance still exceeds the threshold of minus 250 million. Next slide, please. The fuel levy, custom and excise levy, the road accident fund levy, all these are determined by the Minister of Finance. And our role as Department of Energy is to introduce it in the pricing structure. Uh, because it's the easiest and best way of collecting revenue for any government in the world. The demand-side management levy is uh, is only applicable on ULP95 in the inland market. There are certain areas, uh, certain zones, pricing zones in the inland market that are demarcated uh, to attract demand-side management levy, uh, which is about 10 cents. And the reason it was introduced in 2006 was to discourage motorists from using 95 because at the time it was considered to be a wastage of octane there was an octane study that was done at the time and it was it recommended that they introduce that level and it's still in the pricing structures even today next slide please chair this is just the breakdown structure to show you what goes into the pump price of petrol uh, and also IP. I won't go through all of them. I just want to maybe take you through ULP ninety five, and then I'll take you through the IP, which is the, the extreme on the right. Just for purposes of this meeting, chair, the the wholesale margin currently is sitting at forty point five cents a liter. Secondary storage margin sitting at twenty seven point two cents a liter. Uh, secondary distribution margin sitting at fifteen point eight cents a liter, and the retail margin sitting at almost 2.22 cents a litre. These are all the margins chair that we adjust once of every year in December. Then the next one is zone differential. This is for Houting. This is the transport cost in Houting, 64.9 cents a litre. Obviously, in the other 53 pricing zones, it will be different. As you can see, IP tracer die levy is not there on petrol, but is there on diesel, which is 0.1 cents. The fuel levy is 393. Custom and excise duty is four cents. Uh, road accident fund levy is two and eighteen cents per liter. Then the petroleum product levy that we spoke about is zero point three three cents a liter. Then you have the demand side management levy on ULP ninety five, which is ten cents a liter, and it's not there on ULP ninety three. Then if you go to IP, okay, just below that, if I can, check, I can just show you the roundup now. So all these that we mentioned now, all these factors are the local factors and they amount to almost 9.95. And then below that you have the basic fuel price, which is the import price, which is six rand 36. That's the one that I'm saying we can hardly, we don't have much room to change anything there because it's the price of importing the product to South Africa. Now, if you add the two, then it gives you the retail price, which is 16 rand 32 cents in how in other parts of the world it will be different then if you go to IP the only thing i want to highlight under ip is just below the zone differential to show you that we don't have all these levies in ip as indicated in the in the in the previous slides thank you can we move to the next slide please Chair, so this is just the illuminating paraffin, the component and composition of the illuminating paraffin um, and, until you get to the single maximum additional retail price. It also has the basic fuel price, then the margins. The only thing I wanted to highlight is the retail margin there, which is 33% of the subtotal above. As you can see, the retail margin on paraffin is almost higher than the retail margin at the service station. These are some of the, the discussions that we are having as to how to then calculated differently because currently it's 33.3% of that total, meaning anytime the basic fuel price changes, the retail margin will also change. Unlike on the retail service station where the retail margin is calculated once off every year. Next slide, please. This is just another way of showing the same thing, Chair, but just highlighting the percentages to show that 65% of the cost of paraffin is the basic fuel price and the retail margin takes 25%, and the rest come from the other margins. Next slide, please. This is the structure for LP gas. I'm showing you the different zone, one in in the coast, which is zone one A, and the one in the inland market. Those are the different prices based on the, the refinery gate price and everything else and uh, also the retail margin, which is 15% of the subs total here. But you can see the retail margin, even here, is is almost above three red, which is more than the retail margin at the service station because it's a percentage of the total. So if anything changes on that that total, then it affects the retail margin. These are some of the the discussions that we are having with the industry uh, chairperson. Can we move to the next slide, please? Again, this is just another representation of the same information using a pie chart. Uh, We have the MRGP, which accounts for about 41%, retail margin about 11, operational expenses 18%, and the rest come from other, other elements. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. Chair, this is the mechanism that we use to calculate the margins that I spoke about that we calculate every year in December. Uh, We started using this mechanism, the Regulator Accounting System in 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 2013, December of 2013. And the reason we introduced this Regulator Accounting System was to say, let's separate these activities uh, that happens along the value chain because in the past we'll find that some of the like, some of the costs associated with the retail, for example, will be put under wholesale activity. Uh, some of the costs associated with storage will be put under wholesale activity. So then we said no, that's not how it should be done because we want to encourage people or investors to then enter the market. And they, they can enter the market anywhere along the value chain. For example, if you want to invest in a distribution uh, space, you want to buy trucks just to deliver the fuel, you should be able to recover your, your return on investment. And that's when the regulatory accounting system was introduced. So anything that happens at wholesale level will then be classified under wholesale and costed under wholesale. And then any activity that happens at secondary storage level will also be then be reinforced fenced under secondary storage level. So you can have an investor just building a storage facility having nothing to do with petroleum product, but allowing people who are in the petroleum space to store product there and be able to sell it. And then the investor recover the cost for that particular storage. Then when it comes to the service station, we, we are using the benchmark service station. Uh, Remember, we have different sizes of petroleum uh, service station, based on the volumes uh, that they they pump per month. Uh, For the purpose of this uh, exercise, we decided on a benchmark service station, which pumps just around 300,000 liters uh, per per month. And those are the ones that are used to calculate the margins. Of course, there will be those that are below the benchmark, there are those that are above the benchmark, but on average, This is the number that we agreed to be the average for the service stations in South Africa. Next slide, please. Chair, just to summarize what we've been speaking about, uh, petrol is regulated at retail level. Uh, Diesel is not regulated. The department published the wholesale list selling price, which is not regulation, so it's not gazetted. What is gazetted is the petrol price regulation the LP gas regulation, the IP single maximum national re, uh, retail price regulation, all those three are gazetted every month by the minister. Uh, LP gas, as I said, is regulated at retail and MRGP, maximum refinery gate price, which now is now changed to the Saudi CP import price. But because of the definition in the regulation is still catered under MRGP. And then we indicated that the industry margins are determined using regulatory accounting system. So here we have the BFP, which is the cost of importing product until it arrives at the port of entry. And then you have all these local factors that are introduced to get the product to the end users, introduced by the the government in consultation with stakeholders. Next slide, I think is the last one. Next slide. Thank you. Chair, as I finish my presentation, we just want to go through some of the uh, frequently asked questions that the the department faces from time to time. So we've decided now to include them in the presentation. The first one is why are the fuel prices changing every month? Chair, this is in the the fuel price, uh, the basic fuel price working rules. It was agreed with the stakeholders. However, it's not cast in stone. If the consumers or if any of the stakeholders feel that it should be changed to a particular period, then we have to follow the same process of consultation until we arrive at whatever we we want to do. What is over or under recovery? Chair, because our prices are adjusted at the beginning of the month, it means that when the the oil companies go into the market to buy finished product, they are either paying the same price that we said at the beginning of the month, or they're paying more. In which case, if they're paying more, then they are under-recovering. But if they're paying less than the price that we said at the beginning of the month, then it means they're over-recovering. That's where the terms really come from. And if they're over-recovering, it means the following month, the petrol price will go down. If they're under-recovering, it means the following month, the petrol price will go up to make for what they're under-recovered. Why is petrol cheap in neighboring countries and yet they purchase it from South Africa? Here we are really referring to the SACU member states because they are supplied by South Africa. Botswana, Lesotho, Swaziland and so on. Now, firstly, those countries buy from South Africa at the BFP price. So remember, the BFP price does not include the local factors because the local factors are applicable to South African market. So they buy at BFP price, then when it goes to their own countries, then it will include, of course, transport costs to get it from South Africa to their countries. Once it arrives there, then they include their own local factors, which South Africa has nothing to do with those. Now, the reason it's cheaper is because our local factors and their local factors are different. We have the fuel levy and the road extent fund, which they do not have. And this accounts to almost six rand on our fuel price for petrol and diesel. Why is Sasol not selling petrol at lower prices because they produce it from coal? Firstly, maybe the straight answer is that in a regulated environment, you cannot have more than one price that is regulated. So Sasol is also compelled to sell at a regulated price, but we must also not think that it's cheaper because they produce it from coal. Actually, that plant in itself is more expensive to operate than a normal crude oil refinery. Why is government not deregulating fuel prices The straight answer to that, Chair, is that our market is not ready for deregulation. We still have few companies that are dominating in the market. Uh, We have a situation where we call it an oligopoly, where about six main players that are controlling almost all the petroleum products that are sold in the country. Now, if you want uh, wholesalers to compete on price, the playing field has to be level first. Unfortunately, most of these new wholesalers are customers of these big companies. Therefore, you cannot compete with them on price. That's one of the reasons, Che. We need to first level the, the playing field, transform the sector. Once it's ready to compete on prices, then you can deregulate, which is, what the, 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 which is what the white paper on energy is saying, actually. First, prepare the market when it's ready, then you deregulate. Why is 95 more, more expensive? Than, U, than ULP 93 in Haute, we, we talked about the demand-side management labor of 10 cents. That's the reason why it's more expensive than 93. Why is the government not buying oil from African countries at lower prices? We can say that uh, the government does not buy oil per se. It's the oil companies themselves. But from the reports that we get on imports, we know that they are buying crude oil from Nigeria, they are buying crude oil from Angola. In fact, more than 50% of our crude oil now come from these two African countries. But of course, it's not at a lower price uh, because the price is determined by OPEC. So maybe in terms of transportation and other, it could be attractive to, to buy from African countries. But also remember that the refineries are also designed to use a specific kind of crude oil. And uh, most of it coming from West Africa is suitable for our refineries because of their technology, which is very, very old technology. Chair, this is the end of my presentation. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. We would like to hand over back to you. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, thank you, DJ. Uh, and your team, when um, honorable members, are there anything? Are you still in the house, honorable members? <laughs> you, my God, I take it that you are said, I see the hand of uh, Honourable Matawele. Yeah. It's the only hand. I see Honourable Matawele. Yeah. I see the face of Honourable myland Oh, okay, yes. Yeah.
7: Okay, While I've got let's you Next week, let's on, we're actually discussing basic fuel processing committee today, um, but next week is power ships and RMIPP, and I think it's going to be a humdinger. Can you
0: mute, Honourable Kailan? Can you mute? Uh, thank, uh, you. Can you mute? <laughs> thank you. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be Honorable Mahaule, Honorable Mato, then, Honorable Mailem.
6: Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Uh, I just have uh, one or two questions. But first, let me um, welcome the presentation, well prepared. well executed, if I may add that. Uh, Many things that uh, uh, personally I didn't understand uh, came to light today. Maybe chair, let's start with the 15% premium that is directed to South Africa. And uh, Mr. Marke said, it was due to situations at the time and i want to know which time are we talking about apartheid time are we talking about what time because if further says they assist with the uh, issue and uh, looking at whether they can evaluate uh, from time to time and uh, whether the situation is still relevant which situation will that be um, um, and how far are they with the, the evaluation if uh, uh, if it was apartheid and, and if it was uh, anything else? Let's get clarity on that uh, 50, 15% premium that is directed to South Africa because of uh, situations of that time that you uh, did not clarify uh, further. Chair, Te- I do have a problem with... Uh, diesel not being regulated and uh, the first time when we we came to the sixth parliament I asked this question when uh, the same presentation was made not the same presentation but it was on uh, petrol prices the the explanation at the time if I still recall by the minister himself was that uh, because I was saying why do you exclude uh, uh, diesel users from uh, being regulated. And the issue was that during apartheid, farmers were uh, uh, given an exception because of the understanding that they had to uh, service the country in terms of food and food food security. I don't know what, what why why that is the case because this is the economy and the, the market. Um, if, if it can further be clarified why we do have, for instance, when 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 prices are are are, are changed, there will be somebody who uh, uh, say diesel will also go up. In thirteen cents or so, who determines that? If we don't regu- regulate that, I just want to understand uh, deeply w- 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 what is happening uh, in the deregulation of uh, uh, diesel and everything else is is, is 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 going up, and it doesn't stay stay the same. Who is this person who determines that? No, it's not dereg- it's not regulated, but let's let's say 42 cents uh we're going up on diesel as well thank you very much
0: Honourable Madam, I can't see her now.
8: Yeah, I doubt if she's in the meeting now,
1: maybe it's a network issue. She
0: was, she was in the meeting and her, yeah. hand, her hand was up. Honourable Mailan, can you continue? Now, Don't worry, you are forgiven.
7: Thank you, Chairperson. I appreciate it. Sorry about that. I, when I put my hand up, I unmuted myself. Um, I'd also like to thank the department for the presentation. It is very similar to the one that we we saw uh, at the start of the sixth Parliament, but I do have a couple of of questions. So let me start with um, the the question that on the one slide, you, uh, Mr. Marker, you talk about the freight premium, fifteen percent freight premium, and you said you 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 look at it from time to time, and you indicated that that is a, a hangover from. A, a long time ago but i mean surely there is uh, an urgent need to be in negotiations with the uh uh freight companies to get that taken away it's it's an unfair trade uh practice to 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 charge us a premium and not charge other countries so i would urge you to 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 not just review it from time to time but to take uh, steps to to reduce that and get get rid of that freight premium because it's it's unfair on South African consumers. The second thing is you talk about the demurrage cost and you talk about uh, building in three days of demurrage at South African ports, and I'd I'd really like to get some clarity on an issue that is is bothering me a little bit. So first of all, the the ports that that take uh, refined and crude in are Saldana, Cape Town, and uh, Durban primarily. Uh, if I, I think I'm correct on that. But what worries me is we are going to be putting power ships at Saldana, and the power ship will have a second ship next to it, a, a, a fuel storage regasification unit ship next to it, And then from time to time, there will be another ship that will offload liquid gas into the the FSRU. Now, all of that may have an impact on the ability of of ships delivering to get into the harbor, which may have an impact on the demurrage costs. Has that been considered? And if so, what are you doing about it? My third question relates to what is being done to smooth the pricing of, of fuel. So we have these huge swings from month to month. And it strikes me that there is a a need for a level of consistency uh, where we, we, rather than reviewing fuel prices on a monthly basis, we look at reviewing prices on a quarterly or half yearly basis and building some some storage into the system, building some fat into the system so that we can address uh, these these radical swings of price. My last question, I'm concerned that over 37% of the price of fuel in South Africa, the retail price of fuel in South Africa, is government taxes, specifically the, the road accident fund and the fuel levy. These are things that government has direct control over. Now, the road accident fund is a disaster. Yesterday, they, they were told that they cannot pay out any more claims, that any claims that are, are coming in, they were told by a court, that any claims that are coming in must not be paid out until they've, they've sorted out their finances. And yet we are pumping billions of rand into this, this entity that is mired in fraud, mired in mismanagement. Um, and frankly, it's unacceptable. Now, I'd really like to know what your department's recommendations are to reduce the government taxes on fuel. Because what we have now is untenable. The fuel prices are destroying South Africa's economy. And and frankly, the the Road Accident Fund um, and even the proposed RABS uh, bull that has been put on the table you're basically going to have two schemes running parallel to each other for at least 20 to 30 years because of vested interests in in the road accident fund even if you were to end it today um or to transition it to to uh rabs today but surely the time has come to follow the best practices of the rest of the world and make a user pays principle for for uh road accident liability rather than charging everybody for some people who have car accidents Mm -hmm. what i'm saying is we should build that into the the um, licensing of the vehicles rather than into the fuel price it is unfair and it is unsustainable the way it is now thank you Chair. let me leave it there
0: Chair. Oh, sorry, I didn't unmute, un- unmute. Sorry, I was, uh, I, I, I say, Honorable, uh, I was talking when I'm muted. But I was che. also, uh, yes, Honorable um,
6: Michael, Michael. With your indulgence, can I abuse you and uh, uh, ride on what, uh, something that uh, Honorable Malam has said? I just want to, further probe uh before they answer the question
0: can can you take just a little bit of a breather let me give honorable matter then i'll come back to you thank you honorable matter i see now you are back
9: um yes i'm back chairperson thank you very much i'm not sure what happened to my gadget i just got disconnected um but anyway um uh, I hope I'm audible enough um, where I am right now. Um, I would also just like to, to welcome the, the report uh, from the department, which I is, is, is quite detailed. Um, but also I just need to register as well in terms of the time that we got the report. Um, I understand that um, my, my colleagues um, have been in the portfolio long enough and they're able to refer to some of the things that are uh being mentioned um however for me um it was very really hard to actually process most of the information especially considering the fact that we got the report like half past seven last night um but nonetheless um the the questions that i had as well i think um they might have been covered uh, when i was um when I was disconnected. But it was basically, we hear um, the, the challenges that the department is speaking about, uh, but then what becomes the, the way forward. Um, and then also there are a number of factors as well that we, um, that we discovered in terms of um, what affects the fuel price. Um, I think even when we went to SSF, SFF, for instance, was the issue of a syndicate um, that was fuel. And at the time, um, there was an issue that the, the department is still trying to find a way around that. So I wanted to find out if any inroads have been made. Um and then also on the issue of ULS, well considering the fact that paraffin is actually being used um by the poorest of the poor as well um to sort of cap um, the, the rise
0: We lost your Honourable Madogwe again.
5: Seems he's out, Che.
9: I am in, Che. I'm not sure. What to do.
5: Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. Look, if you happen, just for the sake of fairness, if, if you happen to yeah. to be cut off, you are allowed to write on the wall if we, the network is not improving. I'm the mm-hmm. only one with I'm the only one who's disadvantaged that whether network or not network, I have to check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, continue. Okay. Continue that
9: Okay, thank you very much, that, so you I was see,
0: where, You see where you are sitting and the way you are sitting, don't even shake your head. Just stay straight as you are, we hear you very well.
9: All right, no problem, Uh um, So I was just saying as well that um, we are just now going to discuss the issue of our refineries. Um, where even that the report is not looking good. Um, And there's also the the implication that we might have to um, rely on fuel products, um, on on imports particularly for fuel products, which therefore means that will also put another strain not only on the fuel prices, but also on paraffin. So we need to actually have a long-term plan in terms of how we're going to regulate fuel prices um, also, the month-to-month adjustment is not really sustainable. Um, I think those were the uh, the the things that I wanted to raise, Chairperson. I hope that I was not cut off much. Thank you.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll open there. I open the second part, Honourable uh,
6: Masauli. Thank Thank you very much, Chair. You know, Chair. Honorable Mailam has just raised a a very important question that I think I agree with him, that uh, you see, when you deal with road accident fund and uh, place it on fuel, the prediction is that uh, in the near future we'll be using electrified uh, uh, vehicles which may have nothing to do with fuel. Uh, uh, What then would happen uh uh, when it comes to that and i agree with him that it should be placed uh in vehicle licensing because you 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 have a car you have a possibility to have an accident but that should not be placed on fuel because you may have a car that that does not consume fuel Uh, um so i i just wanted to expand on, on on that issue so that when they give a response uh, maybe indicate is there a thinking of the future when it comes to RAF and its misplacement in my view uh, on the on the on the fuel fuel uh, levy. Thanks, sir.
5: Okay,
0: DJ, uh, can you answer please?
3: Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Chair, uh, I'm trying to unmute here. I don't know if I'm audible. DDG uh, Makubela, uh, can you start? Then Mr. Maki will follow.
2: No, thank, thank you very much, uh, DG. and thanks, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members, for the question. Um, as DG indicated, I'll start and then Mr. Marke will, will uh, deal with the questions that I have not uh, covered sufficiently. The first question from Honorable Masaole about the 15% premium, and I think uh, that was also asked by Honorable Maila. The, the, the premium on freight originally was about the the, during the time of uh, the transition from the sanctions era into the post-democratic uh, dispensation. That was uh, effectively given, included because of that. However, however there then was another consideration and that uh, the ship has then said it is very dangerous to bring vessels to, you know, to the southern tip of Africa because of the pirating that was taking place. And that is why that uh, 15% uh, survived the post-democratic era, because we had a, a massive challenge of pirating along the coast. In fact, even now, The South African Navy still helps patrol uh, the routes that uh, vessels uh, uh, traverse to come to the southern part of of the continent. There was a a response globally where countries then deployed uh, navies. to to try and curb this pirating. Uh, I must say that now it has come down. Um, We believe that it is time that we revisit that. But again, uh, it is going to depend on whether there are no flare ups of uh, pirating um, activities uh, along the route. Then the the second question on uh, diesel, Regulation. I think that uh, the the white paper, what we had set as an objective, the white paper on energy policy, was that we would move migrate towards deregulation, and I think that that is the challenge that uh, we we face as as the policy department. That you know the government's intent is to systematically. Um, uh, you know, try and move things towards mimicking what happens in the market, and I think that intent then um, has made us to to be hesitant in re-regulating a, a diesel. Diesel is definitely deregulated. Actually, in our view, we should be seeing differences. In, um, in the prices of uh, diesel from the different players, And in some instances, we do see that, but we don't think it is uh, sufficient. But that is because uh, currently, as we speak, we import over 30% of our diesel requirements. So we don't produce in the country uh, the diesel requirements that uh, we have. But it is something that we we really believe that uh, we should not migrate towards uh, the the regulation of diesel. It is quite unfortunate that when predictions are made about price changes, there isn't a qualification made to say that a the wholesale list price of diesel is going to change by this much, you know, in the predictions, because it is the wholesale. It doesn't mean the pump price should change by that much. Uh, And I I do, uh, maybe Chair want to say this, I drive a diesel vehicle and I do shop around and I do find differences in the prices of diesel. And that is because of the fact that it is not regulated at the pump. On the issue of uh, you know, the, 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 the farmers and so on, we, in our view, the fact that diesel is not regulated allows industry to negotiate hard with the oil companies, uh, because if we were to regulate diesel, then it could be that uh, the oil—I mean the oil majors—would say, "But this is the price that uh, a government wants us to sell diesel at," and therefore that benefit would not be passed on to you know to the consumer in terms of making sure that uh, our industries can be more competitive. Um, then, the again, I think when we talk about regulation in South Africa, we always have to balance security of supply and this deregulation. Currently, we are preoccupied as a department with the security of supply. We, we don't want to get to a situation where we have uh, regular shortages of fuel. Categorically, I can say that we only have uh, fuel shortages when there are, you know, labor disputes. Uh, but also, secondly, when you know we have unusual events like the one that we have we had uh, last year with COVID nineteen, and that is because the regulatory mechanism. On pricing, you know, is uh, supportive of security of supply. If you make drastic changes to the regulatory uh, environment, you will see the response. One, you would see, you know, flight of uh, capital flight. That I think mm-hmm. uh, would be the, the the what would happen. The second one is that you would then. Uh, basically, start in the short term. Until you invest in uh, import infrastructure, you would start seeing, uh, you know, those uh, sporadic uh, uh, shortages of fuel. Now, on the the the, the let me answer, Mr. Maguire will deal with the demarriage issue uh, raised by uh, uh, Honourable Mylan, but. I must say that uh, the power ships will have no impact whatsoever on the, the demarriage because the ports that have been identified uh, don't play a significant role. If it was Cape Town, I think it would uh, would be you know a concern. And if it was uh, Durban itself. Would be concerned, but I think the ports that have been identified, uh, we don't believe that will have an impact on the other liquid fuels. Then on the on the issue of um, a price smoothing, I I think that uh, we we need to be um, quite careful about this one because. You could find that uh, you try and uh, do price smoothing by having prices change on a quarterly basis. And then the spike may be bigger. Uh, What we did last year, and I think we tried to explain it here, is that when COVID hit, we, 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 with the advice of our principals, we took a decision to say, pass every cent to the consumer, pass every cent of that decrease to the consumer because then that enables the cost of doing business to come down. And in fact, we believe that that was the correct decision because the Reserve Bank was then able to lower interest rates given the impact of on fuel of fuel um, in the basket of goods that are considered that reduction in uh, interest rates we believe that is still benefiting the consumer up to today had we held back to say that let's only pass 50 cents i think that room would not have been created uh, for the you know for the reserve bank to move the, on the issue of uh, the Road Accident Fund. Uh, firstly, I want to say that uh, most of our trading partners have got fuel, um, you know, taxes that exceed forty-five percent, and that is a fact. Some in Europe, uh, if you include the environmental taxes, they are about sixty percent of the fuel price. That's what makes fuel in Europe, in particular, to be so high. However, I think that the whole issue of the road accident fund, we would agree that it would need to be looked at. Uh, We don't have the solution because um, it sits outside our uh, portfolio. I would agree that uh, what has been raised by Honorable Masaule is actually a looming danger, and that needs to be looked at, that when you start introducing electric vehicles, um, the the room to maneuver for raising funding for the road accident fund uh, through fuel will diminish. Uh, The room will, you know, will be smaller and smaller. And actually, will disappear. So there is a need for, uh, you know, policy considerations uh, in, in that regard. I think the 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 rest I, I'll hand over to Mr. Mac. If I've missed uh, any question, uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, D. G. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you,
4: D. D. G. I think maybe we covered almost all the questions. There's just one that was raised by Honorable madogue regarding the BFP on IP, I mean, on, on paraffin and so on, given that the local refineries are going to shut down. I think the concern was that it might lead to price increases. So we want to assure her that the, the BFP is already based on import price. So even if the refineries can shut down, that won't necessarily lead to higher prices. The main concern, as DDG said, will only be on security of supply of this product in the country. The one on demarage, I think DDG also covered it very well. Because the demarage that we're talking about is applicable to petrol, diesel, and IP when you bring them to South Africa. So when you have the floating uh, gas storage uh, facilities and so on, that's a different matter altogether. If it's going to attract any demarage, then it has to have its own uh, calculation and the basis for that particular demarage. But we I don't have enough information on that because it's not necessarily regulated per se, the prices by the department. And we haven't really started discussing that. We can only discuss once we start having these facilities and so on. I think the, the last one, Chair, I wanted to, to add here is the 15% premium. I think DDG covered it very well. Just to clarify that the, the London the London tanker brokers panel, the guys who publish this freight, they don't add the 15%. They give you the freight, which is a number, the freight, the cost of transporting fuel to South Africa. Now, the shippers to South Africa comes to us and say, when we let when we go and get these ships to bring product to South Africa, we pay additional premium. And this is the amount that we are paying is additional premium to the freight that is already a published number. So... In order for us to review, then we'll need these shippers to then give us the actual cost that they're paying for this premium so that we can look at the average and look at how we can incorporate in pricing. Is it still 15%? Is it higher? Is it lower? Should it be removed? So that's the information that then we'll have to source from the, the actual companies that are bringing products to South Africa. Thank you.
2: Thank you, DG. Thanks. Okay. This.
3: Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Batubella and uh, Mr. Maka. The chair, I hope we the team has um, adequately responded to the questions. Thank you very much. Over to you, Chair.
0: Okay. Thank you, DG. Um, honorable members, uh, at the end of today, someone must take uh, responsibility. My apologies, uh, uh, Honorable Madog. I will do a follow up. Uh, uh, yes. I'm, the problem is that for some of us, just being the chair, sometimes you get first the documentation, and you assume when it is approved, it is uh, it's already having to to go through. Let me—I was not aware that you received; it was received very late to the documentation. Uh, but we will work on that. Um, I'm sure uh, it's it's an error that we must apologize for. Number two, um, our address, I want to ask members maybe down the line Lend agree that uh, from where we sit as a committee we we may it's impossible to think of exhausting this issue um, just for having a session today but I will try and uh, uh, make a proposal towards the end but uh, <clears throat> I don't know Mr Mark in your presentation almost at the beginning, um, where it talks about the use of the pipeline, what 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 payment to NERSA and the uh, payment on behalf of NERsa I, I just need clarity. I couldn't get a sense of what that, what does that mean? Does that mean the state pays service providers in, for the pipeline granted to or by NERSA? If I can just get clarity on that issue. The the second part is what uh, honorable members were raising. I think let's agree, uh, which is why I said, I don't think we can exhaust this issue now. We need to think outside the box. The point eh, amongst other things is our own domestic or local taxations. Um, What needs to be done? Probably there needs to be a complete or a radical shift um, in 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 the manner in which we do We may see only rough, but uh, maybe at the end of the day, when we engage on the sum total of the domestic or local taxations, we may arrive on one thing that probably most of those domestic or local taxations are not necessarily located where they are supposed to be. Um, And I don't think there's something wrong. It's what I think for me, even the department must make a consideration of that. Thirdly, is to look beyond what we, uh, we have been talking about, and I know it's a controversial issue that there's always been arguments. What are the other alternatives that we can look at in terms of the issue of um, the uh, fuel? Um, I don't know. There's been a, a very serious debate. Um, I don't want to take an ideological stance on the matter. I'm just raising to say. They, they, they might be, it will help if, if the department, where possible, help us to, to reshape our thinking beyond what is normal or what is ordinary, in front of our eyes. Do we still have the, the, the concerns, risk, or, 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 or challenges? Because anything that we don't engage with, it leaves people much more narrow in terms of knowledge. Uh, I remember there was a debate, uh, about the uh, issues of food security when it comes to issues of biofuel um, it, it, it would be nice that uh, when we talk on those issues we go deeper the biomass what is the view and uh, help us because from time to time you need to renew unfortunately government governments are like that that from time to time they could be, a new team or an introduction of new people in the scheme of things. I'm worried about the fact that the presentation does not help us much. It's very good, it's well informative, but it's telling us about what is currently happening. It's not telling us about options or possible options and what could be the disadvantages of those options if they are presented here. So that we can then move from a premise that says, we are really left with what we have in front of us and therefore we have to respond to this in the manner that, that, that we are given. But if there is a thought out of the box, I think my, it, it must help us to say, we, if we look at other alternatives, here are the limitations of of these alternatives if we take them. The, the last issue, uh, I must say with all due respect, Honorable Mashawle, uh honorable my honourable maddo where that I know here. Maybe when we go back to our principles, there are certain questions that we must think outside the box. Um, when you look at the fact that in terms of the endowment, the the report says 50% of our crude oil probably is from the African continent. And uh, I've always raised this question and I'm saying this thing because most of uh, our delegations or members of parliament are delegations to the Pan-African parliament. To what extent can these issues find expression within the Pan-African parliament in terms of trade? Because this to me is one of the biggest opportunities that uh, Africa can take from. If, 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 if it is worked properly for the benefits, not just of the African continent, even the globe, but on the basis of fair trade, I, 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 I'm of the view that the point that is being raised here about um, the well-established uh, role players uh, and the need for transformation and so forth can only happen also if it is much more proper in the way and the manner that we look at. So um, when we talk about free trade within the African continent, at what point some of these issues find expression. So so I'm just saying maybe something that in our own parties when we go back, let's try and refine and see whether we can get a common ground to say part of the packages that we can carry is that intra trade within Africa can be enhanced only if we look at these particular options. And I'm interested also to know now from the department as part of the executive, that is it something that our government is also making a consideration on how best these these can be shared for the benefit. I'm not saying it should be anti-trade with others, but how do we want to harmonize trade in relation to this endowment that we're having in our continent. So I'm not sure whether DG, want to share with this thing, but I want, whilst we're still going to go to other presentation, Uh, I, I, I might be making a recommendation on how best we can take this process forward, because I don't think all, all uh, only us who are members of the committee, the department, or general parliament and government uh, possess uh, supernatural wisdom to provide solutions. The truth of the matter is that if we make a proper analysis of the impact of the food, uh, of the of the of the fuel prices, it goes beyond just transport and other things. It has got a direct impact uh, on our socioeconomic uh, situation. But DJ, if you want to have a take, can you? Thank you,
3: thank you very much, uh, uh, Honourable Chair. We, we really appreciate the, the guidance that you have just provided. I think I will start with the last submission that we have made of the African Continental Free Trade uh, Agreement. Now, we know for a fact that, um, you know, the agreement promises us a greater market opportunities. There will be more trade and investment and would be able to, de- to, to derive a greater value. You know, in terms of looking at the productivity market opportunities. Now, what you have raised, um, chair, it's a matter that we would uh, internalize it in the department. Uh, we will wait for yourself in terms of uh, a guidance because today we came here to give an overall picture of the status quo. Now we understand that. I mean, you know, there is a need. In line with the inputs that honorable members have made, uh, some of the issues are policy issues that um, we would need to have a concerted a conversation around uh, those uh, uh, issues. But uh, by and large, Chair, I think uh, the, the guidance is welcomed. And we would, uh, you know, in due course, uh, based on the guidance that you'll provide to us, because we understand that uh, it is not only about us having to live. Uh, with what you are having at the moment is to how can we change and, uh, you know, be more responsive to the current um, issues that we are confronted with. I don't know if maybe there will be an addition from Mr. Makubela, uh, DGJ? No, th-
2: uh, thank you, DG. DJ. Uh, DJ, I think uh, maybe just two, two issues from my side. Uh, one is that uh, as the chair has indicated, um, I think we, we need to come back uh, uh, to talk about what the options are. And I, I must say that the afternoon's presentation begins to talk to those. Perhaps what uh, is not covered in the afternoon's presentation is what the chair referred to, and that is biofuel. I think that it is... Um, something that we are looking at as a department and I think uh, given the challenges that the sugar industry is having, it is an area that, uh, you know, needs to be looked at even more uh, because it can unlock economic activity but also then uh, begin to moderate the, the, you know, the, the price of fuel but also balance of payments because we would then be producing that locally. But chair, we we we've taken uh, the guidance and uh, as DG indicated, when called upon, we will come back and and give more detail. Thank you.
4: Thank you very much, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members. DG, DG, we did not respond to the first question by the chair on the on the tariffs. If okay, you can want. you come? Yes, deal with it, Mr. Mackey. Okay, thank you, DG uh, Chair. The issue around the, the pipeline is as follows: the pipeline is owned and operated by Transnet, and Transnet gets a tariff from NERSA on annual basis. When the oil companies bring products, say from the event to the Indian market through the pipeline, they pay that tariff to Transnet. Because we are using a cost recovery mechanism in, a, in our pricing system, they'll have to recover that cost from the levy that we mentioned is the Petroleum Pipeline levy, which is administered by Central Energy Fund. So when they submit that claim to CEF, they'll also include a proof from NERSA that they shipped this number of uh, the volume on this particular pipeline. And then we then refund them based on what they've already paid to transmit. Thank you. So,
0: I, now I hear you uh, Mr. Marker. Uh-huh. It's fine. Uh, I think there's a lot, uh, I, I always say I, I, I don't like to be channeled on a box. I'm now convinced there's more work that still needs to be done. Uh, if we are working in the manner that you do, that you suggest now, I'm sure certain things wouldn't be the same. Uh, I'm just thinking of, of other examples where that, that is not the route that is being followed. Uh, but it's, it's okay. Um, it's not the same issue for another day. Uh, that's why I did at some point I, I even raised the issue to say we, we need to have a broader discussion even beyond this on the, on what is supposed to be an investment plan or investment strategy for state-owned entities so that you don't have one entity operating this way, the other entity operate this way, one entity can, can have partnerships, one entity is not allowed. And all of them, one thing that is common is that in the absence of an investment plan and an investment strategy, when things don't go right, then the state must take liability. That's that's why I'm saying maybe beyond this issue, whatever solution we'll come up with, it must inherently be informed by a overarching investment plan and investment strategy for our state-owned entities. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I thought it's you who's speaking. Oh, no, no, not at all. Oh, okay. Uh, Honorable members, I'm not sure you want me to give you a break to go and take some water whilst uh, we are preparing the AA. I don't see whether you go on a break or what. I'm just asking honourable members, do you want the 10 minutes so that we start at eleven, Or is AA ready and will allow them to, at least for the next five minutes, to put up their presentation? Honourable Makaunen, Honourable Mailen, I see your mics are on, either of you.
7: Sure, I think we should... Yeah,
6: I agree with Honourable Melim. We we sit with our water with our water in our corners. We 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 stand up and go to the toilet without saying that we are going to the toilet. So okay. everything is sorted. Uh,
0: as long as you don't say what's happening, make sure that you, whatever yeah. you do, your, yeah. your 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 videos must be off. Probably even your mics must be muted. AA, uh, hey, hey. you will introduce yourselves and your delegation. The floor is yours. You are welcome to the committee. I see there is a uh, Mister Leighton back yes, Just um, when you are mute, then uh, you can take the floor.
8: <laughs>
0: um, uh, you can unmute yourself. Uh, Mr. Bird, it's still red. Yes. Now it's your volume. is that uh Mr Hullaval? we can't hear a thing except is it only me who can hear
6: No, we can't hear him.
0: Yeah, I can see if your know, mic is not showing that you are talking. It's supposed to have um, an up and down running green, uh, being green on the mic, going up and down. by yes, now we can hear.
8: Yes. Can you hear us? Can
0: you hear us now? Yes, we hear you now.
5: Can you hear us now?
1: Start your video. No, they've also gone. There's an issue with
6: them. No, we hear you. Okay, yummy now. Okay, 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 great.
1: Okay. Can we start the video? Can Can you hear us now? Is the video on?
8: Can you see us and hear us? Hello? Yes. All right, thank you very much. Uh, So we can proceed. Right, Uh, honorable chairman, um, members of the committee, thank you very much for the opportunity to present to you today. Uh, From the onset, we apologize for the late submission of our uh, document as of this morning, to no fault of the committee. So uh, we appreciate the opportunity to proceed and to present to you. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity, uh, Mr. McQuinn, Mr. Mchabele, and Mr. Maki. Thank you very much for your insights this morning, and what you have shared um, thus far. So, if everybody can uh, hear us clearly, please indicate if you can't. Uh, we shall proceed to our presentation. Again, thank you very much for uh, the time you have afforded us. From the onset, I need to point out. Um, that the view of the uh, Automobile Association of South Africa is completely uh, unpolitical. We are here to represent the interests of the uh, consumer and we speak from that perspective um, to make sure that we protect the interests and in our members' interests and in the public at large. Uh, with us in studio today from my end, uh, I'm Willem Prunewald, the Chief Executive Office of the Automobile Association of South Africa. Uh, on my In my presence as well, uh, Mr. Philip Purnell is the Executive of uh, PR and communications and Mr. Leighton Beard, who is the AA's spokesperson. So with that in mind, uh, if we could continue, the uh, Automobile Association was established in 1930. We've been around for 91 years, and we are consumer focused through information sharing, non-confrontational and seeking solutions and a clear aim for road safety, mobility awareness and public education. Our goal is always to consider but is in the best interest of our consumers, our consumer champion. This includes members, non-members and all road users. We are not for profit organization and our aim uh, aims, uh, uh, is not uh, for that of making money but rather to represent consumers at large. Uh, the AA's uh, base constitutes representation of 20% of vehicle users on the South African roads. And we are always striving to ensure ease of use and best practice for consumers. Moving on to uh, the presentation, um, a lot has been said in terms of the composition of the, the fuel price and the honorable committee and everybody that is representing today is well versed with the uh, composition of how fuel prices are compiled and considered. Uh, To this end, we are not going to spend an inordinate amount of time in terms of going back into the composition of the pricing, but we would rather like to flesh out and focus on elements of the process that we have um, opinion on. In terms of that, uh, the import parity uh, principle is well designed, complete method of uh, the basic fuel price determination to ensure that local refineries compete with the international counterparts. This promotes cost effective effectiveness and intelligent rough acquisition strategies to ensure survival in a volatile and competitive international environment. However, the position that import parity is a well designed, complete method of the basic fuel price determination is contested by longer term comparisons between the basic fuel price and actual import data, together with various other models, are needed to reveal if the basic fuel price is accurately reflected the true import parity uh, price that's recommended to continue evaluating the Arab Gulf pricing model so as to determine if this model may be more appropriate to use as a IPP indicator in in a regulated environment. Uh, The fundamental philosophy philosophy for the foundation for establishing the basic fuel prices to represent realistic market-related costs of importing a considerable quota of South Africa's liquid fuel supplies. Therefore, such supplies are obtained from overseas refinery centres that can satisfy South Africa's requirements of product quality and sustainable supply considerations. They contend that the basic fuel price is a well-designed method for the basic price generation. Uh, I cite this year to establish a base under. Dr. Rod Crompton is the director of the Energy Leadership Centre at Fitz Business School, an ESCOM non-executive board member and former Deputy Director General at the Department of Minerals and Energy, hence citing um, quotations from that principle as a foundation. In terms of the petroleum value chain, the following product is stored and moved a number of times between refining and vehicle tanks. Each time it is handled, there is an associated cost which is recovered through the pricing mechanism. Currently, three of the country's six refineries are offline. Obviously, this drives uh, importation demand into perspective. Total petrol and diesel imports 85,000 barrels per day pre closure. Post closure imports adding another 180,000 barrels per day imported, um, cited through the media reference quotes. Our imports have increased significantly due to refineries being offline. And we need to establish the best cost ratio between refining and importation and what impact this has on the basic fuel price as a principle. Further to Crompton, Singh, in and Simango. Citing quotes, South Africa shifted from being a net exporter of refined products to being a net importer in 2006. The shift calls into question the appropriateness of continuing an import substitution policy approach partly because it is a blunt instrument which appears to be uh, inflating petrol prices across the economy without since 2006 achieving the intended policy objective of expanding refinery capacity in line with domestic demand. It's also wasteful in that it provides benefits to all refiners, including those that do not need protection. In addition, such cost benefit analysis as exists indicates that import growth is preferable to refinery investment, at least in the shorter to medium term. The advent of electric vehicles, risk refinery investments becoming stranded assets over time um, because the demand for uh, fuel supplies would clearly diminish. So, the question we're asking is should we be investing more in refineries or should we rather be seeking alternative solutions? Looking forward, it's further noted that we are not aware of a body of theory that could adequately explain the phenomenon of petrol price regulation in South Africa, again, cited by Crompton. What would be of considerable benefit would be more detailed analysis of the industry, such a methodology could be further modified to include an analysis of the drivers of the value chain dynamics, the constraints faced by actors at different levels in the value chain, and the struggles between the different actors in the value chain. A structural periodization would introduce historical dynamism into the analysis, as the changing power of the actors' groups and institutions through history have influenced the historical trajectory. Such an analysis would provide a clearer picture or forces determining where the industry is today and where the best prospects for a reform might lie. The impact of the unintended consequences and the spaces that they open up are those spaces that have been exploited and by whom historically may assist in revealing spaces that are now open and what opportunities they may present. And again, as we said, we're here to champion the view of the consumer and our contribution to the firm today, as we understand that the committee is limited in terms of uh, execution of the ideas that he shared. So we are sharing our ideas um, to identify opportunities to improve the environment at large. Basic fuel price has not been regularly reviewed as the global markets have shifted. There's some evidence to suggest that it does not yield a true import parity price, Crompton cited once more. In relation to the basic bill price import precarity pricing, or IPP as we refer to it, and given the above statement, the Automobile Association is of the view that further research is required to determine if the current model of BFP calculation is adequate. Consumers should be at the center of the value chain. Clearly, because consumers at large um, comprise the driving forces of the economy and sits at the core and the foundation of our South African economy, and mobility tied to that. While the value chain is key, an approach centered on consumers must be considered, and thus will require a review of the basic fuel price. Parity pricing does exist in relation to fuel exports to neighboring countries. Main reason for this is inclusion of levies in local supply, two major levies being the general fuel levy and the road accident fuel levy, fund rather levy. Levies are correcting problems of past and not solving present or future challenges we maintain. Claim to be equitable as everyone pays, but impact is felt most severely by the poor. Too little education from government on the composition of the fuel price and its various markers specifically on the levies and their impact. Levies cannot for now be eliminated, but must be better managed and the process requires more transparency. What we're saying here is that we do not contest the, the living. Uh, of taxes uh, through fuel pricing mechanisms, but what we are seeking is the appropriate allocation of those levies to the benefit of the consumer. One of two major levies currently being collected increases mostly in line with inflation, but this needs reviewing. Current taxation rate is extremely high, between 23 to 28 percent on every liter. Money allocated to treasury can be utilized for any purpose. Eliminating GFL creates problems with collection. If not yet, then when? South Africans want to contribute to taxes, but there must be tangible visible benefits of doing so. Money allocated through the general fuel levy is not seen to be working for citizens and consumers. As I said a minute ago, paying the levies and paying the taxes is a wonderful thing to do when the public can see the taxes going to work providing uh, benefits to the money that is paid. much of the general fuel levy is allocated to law enforcement? Current staffing levels needs are half of what they should be. Again, in terms of uh, putting down legislation, uh, legislating is not effective unless those legislation can be enforced and perpetrators can be brought to book, uh, apprehended and uh, convicted. The conviction drive is also what we're looking for, and funding through these mechanisms would enable more law enforcement on the road visibility and uh, law enforcement in our country. How much of the general fuel levy is allocated to road infrastructure? For instance, there are many examples countrywide of residents fixing their own potholes, especially after the summer rains. The general fuel levy must be used to fund critical elements relating to road infrastructure and law enforcement. Funding of these and other road and transport related priorities is critical. The proposes that. Increases to the general fuel levy be halted for at least the next five years until issues of the allocation and the utilization of funding received through the general fuel levy has been reviewed. Concerns about money being collected but not managed or administered properly. The road accident fund is poorly managed. And it has been alluded to earlier in previous presentations in this forum. Current projections are a deficit of around 520 billion by 2023-24. Even with the collection of levies to fund the Road Accident Fund seems to be inadequate, which points to an element within the governance structures of the way the fund is managed. The RAF versus Road road Accident Benefit Scheme, RAPS, government wanted to implement RAPS to replace the RAF because why? As the existing fault-based compensation system administered by the road accident fund established by the road accident fund act 1996 is not effectively achieving the purpose for which it was created however perhaps deemed too expensive to get off the ground but there is still a need to deal with the road accident fund as a matter of urgency the question we're asking is where is the money going the automobile association is of the view that an approach based on two priorities are necessary to deal the road accident fund challenges. The first priority, the road accident fund should be wholly or semi-privatized, with the private sector providing management oversight and accountability. In a semi-privatized scenario, private inputs must be sought on key issues relating to management and the provision of insurance services. Private sector involvement will drive down costs and provide better services to victims of crashes requiring compensation. The only way forward for a new road accident fund is through private sector involvement and public accountability. Private sector involvement in the management of risk associated with the road accident fund have now become inevitable and unavoidable. Costs are too high and the road accident fund has effectively run out of time to rectify the situation. It runs the risk of implosion. The road accident fund itself notes on page 19 of its 2019-20 annual report the trends observed in the claims environment saw a substantial increase in claims liabilities the statement of financial position reflects the extent to which the fund remains undercapitalized a net deficit of 322, million, uh, $322 billion was recorded for the 2019 uh, 2020 period Priority two, road safety must be at the heart of what the Road Accident Fund does. In effect, better administration, better law enforcement by default inverts the claim duration on the Road Accident Fund. Less crashes, thereby drives less exposure to the fund having to make payouts. Increased road safety will reduce the need for compensation as I've said, 10 to one return investment in road safety. In terms of road safety, uh, save road use or better drivers. Save vehicle crash test technology inclusions. Better post-crash uh, intervention. Save roads and road sites, road infrastructure, and save speeds. An approach to deal more effectively with road crashes will benefit the economy and clearly relieve a huge amounts of pressure on the road accident fund. The slide here, this briefly speaks to the cost of crashes. This is the last data that we were able to access. I'm not going to go into the balance of the slide, but the headline on this page, that 142.9 billion Rand was uh, allocated to the cost of crashes in 2015. It's now five years later. This data would have moved, but it's safe to say that at minimum, it would be close to that number. as a ratio to what this is costing the economy at large. In 2015, the Road Traffic Management Corporation released the cost of crashes that you've seen now. At the time, the RTMC estimated the cost of economies of crashes at 143 billion, extrapolated the account for a year-on-year inflation at 5%. This amount in 2021 should be in the region of 191 billion. Investment in road safety is non-negotiable in dealing with problems faced by the road accident fund and reducing the number of crashes reduces the number of fatalities thereby reducing reliance on the road accident fund. Current numbers do not indicate meaningful reductions in road fatalities function of the RTMC. Therefore, the need is higher if the aim is to reduce the cost of the road accident fund. South Africa has huge reliance on fuel the masses within our economy makes use of public transport. the commuting environment, uh, 15 million uh, commuters per day makes uh, use of public transport, hence a massive reliance on fuel, not to speak about the commercial elements of uh, business being reliant on fuel to drive the economy and the businesses. Reliance on fuel can be mitigated through provision of mutilated mobility solutions, such as bike lanes, e-bikes, the issue of bicycles, e-bikes and bike lanes has not been fully explored in South Africa and needs more intensive scrutiny. Reliance on fuel pushes this discussion back, but it should be brought forward as a means of easing the reliance on fuels. International practice is to reduce reliance on fuels for environmental reasons, mainly, but in a country such as South Africa, this has major positive implications. Greener fuels are unavailable in South Africa, yet there's a carbon tax on fuels. There's no alternative to using the current available fuels, yet motorists are being penalized for having to pay carbon taxes, even though they have no choice. Investment in the provision of safe, reliable, affordable public and commercial transport is necessary. Current offerings do not offer any of the above. An increase in public transport usage will consequently reduce individual reliance on fuel. More investment needs to be made in Transnet to ensure the pressure on freight is relieved through increased use of rail. And we all know what our highways look like by the increase of road freight and the big problem faced as well in terms of that on overloading and the damage of our roads infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Touch on several issues, which we believe will mitigate the basic fuel price to recap these are A review of the basic fuel price calculations, research analysis into best model for uh, IPP pricing models review of levies, involvement of private sector in operations, and the management of the road accident fund. Massive investments in road safety to offset costs of compensation and cost of the economy, reduction on the reliance of fuels. However, A critical element I have not touched on yet is the general state of the economy, which has an irrefutable impact on fuel pricing. In this regard, we offer the following comments. It has become clear that corruption is pervasive in our society. And uh, with your um, indulgence, I will read through some quotes shared over the last period. So capture and corruption has been undermined, has, has undermined investor, investor confidence and public trust eroded key institutions of the state and diverted resources intended to support development. Addressed by President Sorum Maposa at the opening of the Presidential Job Summit Gallagher State October 4, 2018. We resolved to cure our country of the corrosive effects of the corruption and to restore the integrity of our institutions. So did the nation address by President Soroma Ramaphosa, February 7, 2019. In response to the dire situation at several of our state-owned enterprises where mismanagement and corruption had several undermined their effectiveness, we have taken decisive measures to improve governance Strengthen leadership and restore stability in strategic entities. So, the nation addressed by President Sora Ramaposa, Parliament, February 7, 19. Good governance is a prerequisite for an effective developmental state and more sustained investment, both of which are needed to fuel growth and job creation. Addressed by Deputy President Ramaposa on the occasion on the 22nd uh, annual NEDLAC Summit, 8 September 17. Issues of government impact on investment and the economy in general, the fuel price is a symptom of the economy. If issues of governance impact on the economy, and the fuel price is a symptom of the economy, then fuel price is impacted by macro and micro issues of good governance. For instance, a week rand dollar exchange is impacted by economic policy uncertainty. Ratings downgrades, government spending, corruption, rising unemployment. Cost of bailouts, examples, SABC process com denial, et cetera, between 2000 to 2020 is at 187 billion, according to finance minister Tietjian Government wage bill in 2019 recorded at 745 billion. Few levy's taxes goes into the fiscus. Earlier we put into question the allocation of the funds, how much of those funds are landing uh, in these channels, mitigating these challenges, and how much of that goes to the benefit of the consumer at the end of the day. Given the above, we believe it is necessary for government to provide evidence of good governance. Evidence of good governance and success in dealing with burning issues, corruption bailouts, government wage bill will improve investor confidence in South Africa. In the end, the abuse of good governance, particularly at those agencies who benefit most from fuel taxes, does not contribute to citizens' willingness to pay taxes, does not attract investors, leads to rating down rates, creates a weaker economy, and leads to weaker currencies. As a knock-on effect, on local fuel pricing. In the end, we need to ask ourselves what success would like uh, for consumers and they ask themselves these hard questions about fuel pricing in South Africa in our view, that would be an audit of existing protocols and calculations, extensive research on the fuel value chain, which informs decisions, better allocation of funds generating through general fuel levy and road accident fund levies, better policing, better road infrastructure, Better public transport, safer roads, safer drivers, better post-crash intervention and care, better education awareness campaigns, evidence of good governance and the utilisation of funds from the general fuel levy and the road accident fund, a better structured, more transparent fuel pricing mechanism, which delivers correct, audited data that the public can rely on, and certainly the tax collected, taxes collected are being allocated appropriately. Economic climate influences local prices, even if SA government does not have influence over international petroleum prices. Alternatives for current distribution, value chain must be revisited. Need for review, revision of current calculations, including uh, of factors which comprise the basic fuel price. Alternative for current transportation, bikes, e-bikes, bike lanes, reliance on current fuels must be reduced. Public transport must be reliable, affordable, efficient. The road accident fund needs urgent intervention, funding for road safety initiatives to be sharply increased, general fuel levy increases to be halted, ring fence for specific actions. Mm-hmm. Basic fuel price is comprised of several elements, and so too is any consideration of how to mitigate the rising costs. There is no silver bullet, it will be required, it will be requiring a multifaceted, multi layered, multi departmental approach. With that, we conclude. Uh, Honourable Chairman, uh, Honourable members of the committee, we thank you very much for your time and affording us the opportunity to present to you. Uh, once again, apologies for the late submission of the presentation, and we are thankful and grateful um, that we've had the opportunity to share with you. Uh, and uh, back to you, uh, Honourable Chairman.
0: OK, thank you very much, sir, and your, and your team. Uh, the the only thing is uh, the advantage that we're seeing the the the, the presentation on the screen, but uh, I have already noticed that uh, members um, were 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 a little bit uh, disadvantaged. We will request next time. I know maybe your volume that side is not increasing that much, but uh, it was difficult to listen but uh, because the presentation was in front of us, that's why I didn't stop. There was a request that you, at least you try and up your voice. Uh, I'm sure when we deal with questions and answers, let's we get uh, the voice a little bit checked up uh, so that uh, we're not disadvantaged uh, on the very good contributions. And I think let's appreciate the, the presentation. It's, um, it's a, a little bit informative, but let not be the first one to, <clears throat> to, to to make an opinion as if I'm priming up members what to do. Honorable members, here is a presentation. Uh, are there any take? I see the hand of Honorable Mylem. Any other hand? I see the hand of Honorable Mashaole. Okay. Honorable Mylam, then Honorable Mashaole. I won't come, I'll only come after the two of you have finished, except if there's another hand in
7: between. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, Chairperson, I'd really like to appreciate the, the presentation. Um, I do have one concern, and that is that, uh, well, maybe it's a comment, maybe it's a concern, maybe it's a question. So let me start with the question. Is the AA in discussion with the Department of Energy regarding a review of the BFP? And if not, why not? And then related to that is a a comment. I, I really think that the department needs to urgently commence that review of the bfp to see whether it's the best practice uh, whether it is the the best methodology for determining a fuel price for south africa and if it's not we need to make every effort to to find the best model for determining that uh, that fuel price so right now and and this should be an ongoing thing The department should be consulting people like the AA and and bringing them on board and saying, let's look at this, let's review it. Let's see what we can do because South Africa's consumers are suffering. Thank you, Chair.
6: May I proceed, Chair?
0: Yes, I said so. I said when you you are done, except if there's another member in
6: between. No, thank you very much, Chair. I want to phrase my question differently to probably the first uh, comment made by Honorable Madam on the relationship uh, with SEF and ask AA what is their source of information when it comes to uh, predicting the, the petrol prices except the information that we, we, we get from sep In other words, if sep was to not exist tomorrow and next week we have to release petrol price changes, would they be able to do that? and if yes how where 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 do they get the formula how is it uh, uh, how do they get that information uh, uh, because in most case, in 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 the presentation made by uh, mr marke he said it's the minister only who, has authority to determine, following the formula used by self, to publish that. I'm saying if the minister was not to publish such, would they continue giving the public information? Or, they rely on self-information and if they rely on self-information why are they not, not acknowledging that fact to the public thank you very much
0: okay uh, let me can i allow uh, a to respond or take a a note on the issues raised, you'll bear with us. We ask these questions in the manner we do. We hope you have have taken notes. And uh, if it's a comment, if you feel that you don't want to respond on the comment or that you are free to do so, but uh, you have made a presentation, uh, let me allow you then uh, to make a take. You'll decide who responds on the
8: questions or on the comments. Honourable Chairman, thank you very much uh, uh, to respond first. In terms of the first question, the AA is certainly not in discussions with the DMRE regarding uh, the audits or the recalculation of the basic fuel price. It is not something that has come up uh, prior, so the answer to that is no. Secondly, the the determination of fuel pricing, um, we rely completely on the CEF, which is the Central Energy Fund, and in the absence of uh, that data, we would not be able to forecast or announce or predict any pricing whatsoever.
1: Okay. Yami? Yes. Yes. So, uh, just in response to Mr. Maklawile's question as well, we, and, and as Mr. Krunewald has just indicated, we obviously make use of the, the, the KEF data um, uh, without which we would not be able to make this determination. It is a fact that is mentioned in every single one of our press releases that uh, is issued to the media. Uh, we make note of the fact that we rely on unaudited data from the KEF to make these determinations. Um, we also make uh, a very clearly known uh, that the Automobile Association does not uh, adjust the price. Nor do we have any input into its regulation, um, and those uh, those facts are unknown to 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 the media to which we supply this data. We, yeah, I mean, as a last point, the 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 reason we supply this information is as a consumer service. Uh, we we provide this data in in order to assist consumers. Uh, to be aware of what the potential changes to the fuel price could be, uh, and we we do this so that they are able to budget properly. Uh, but also, we feel it's an important education aspect that we perform uh, in the absence of, of of any other data relating to the fuel price, except the adjustment prices themselves.
0: Okay. Okay, honourable members, uh, I think there is a, that take. Um, look, um, thank you with the with the with the with the presentation. I think what is good, and and I must say this uh, to AA, What is good is that um, you in your presentation you have highlighted that uh, no silver bullets uh, will resolve the challenge that we are having. And um, again, with what I was raising, um, I think there is a need to, to find one another on different options. Yes, to some degree, you have looked also in terms of the developments that are taking place in terms of the, 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 the motor industry um, and the possibilities. Um, that might arise if they saw over-reliance on fuel. Um, One other part that for me, uh, and I've always argued this, um, although uh, I may take it even further and say, it depends the nature of training and uh, mass education How does it take um, in order to make sure that we reduce the the cost, first we reduce carnage but also we reduce the cost of claims uh, in relation to, it it also again, I must say, depends whether finally we, we agree on the fact that where this domestic taxation is located will remain there but secondly uh, as I I take it as a short-term intervention now is to look on on, on the the, the work that has to be done. I've always I think I would agree I've always argued that uh, if you've got someone who gets a driver's license today by driving from one point less than even uh, 50 kilometers and that person is granted the license and the first time that person takes, takes a long trip of about 600 kilometers or a person gets a license is on the road, when in essence, even at a workplace level, there are periods of probation where the person must go through a rigorous process until what the confirmation of what he has or she has is finalized. So I think for me, on these issues of road safety and so forth, as long as, in my view, if it does exist, I think we must have created, has got some loopholes, a, a road safety master plan. Uh, South Africans, when we, if it's raining, massive accidents, for example, they happen during um, a, 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 a rainy few days. If there are too much rain, we know there will be a lot of fatalities, but, at that time, there's no testing that is being done. If it's raining, we are told, the testing stations are closed. No testing is done at night. Most of the accidents happens at night. You don't even know that person, except when you go to test the eyes there. So at a practical level, I think those are the limitations, which in my view, I'm saying, I am saying I appreciate the fact that there is that view that says, to reduce, it's not only about expenditure. There is no one. I don't. I don't think myself sitting here. We can contest the issue of governance. That you can't have a state that could. Be, that's why I said even there to the department initially, if we don't have an overarching investment strategy or an investment plan for from our state-owned entities. They will continue this reliance that when things don't go well, the state must intervene, it must pay. And whether we like it or not, it's not an expenditure that comes from the air. It comes from the taxes that our people are paying. That in my view, it's, 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 it's another way where we can make a contribution and enhance it. But I appreciate the fact that quite clearly, this is not a matter that we need to find a solution today. Um, I can safely say uh, 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 when honorable members are asking this question, we should be saying that instead. Uh, I want to make it a point to say there is a need that some of these ideas must be shared also because for sometimes our own processes of parliament, they take their own people. But I think there is a need for an interaction in between including how do we manage the dissemination of information between the two entities? Uh, I think uh, there has to be that role. I, I, must, I must say on the last question, to me it raises issues even with the department. Look, when you've got a regulatory industry and um, I are not questioning DG how you operate, uh, but I feel the, there is an unevenness uh, if we were to say come here and present on how do you deal with tariff increases and so forth, in terms of the electricity industry, can I can assure you we're going to bring NASA. Now, when we say bring in, when it comes to this one, uh, Self might be here, but they, I can't get their specific active role as an existing entity that is supposed to be working on this, even assisting you to look at different alternatives that have to be performed. I'm not saying what you present is not from them, and, and I, I can't question that, but I find that the manner in which sometimes the regulatory institutions, even when they are under one roof, they've got different manners and, and the mechanisms that they operate. And I think that's why the question that was raised by, by Honorable Masaule to say, you we, we, sometimes you don't get this thing that self is actively involved uh, when it comes to these issues in relation to the to, to to the fuel prices. But I'm leaving because I think from where we sit as a committee, we 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 are going to find a way on how best do we deal because the main focus now is the implication and and I think we need I agree we need to do a thorough work. On the cost implications of the fuel prices in the overall value chain that source the socioeconomic implications thereof so that we can be able to make a calculated cost not on the basis of make what just shocked. we must know we know even in the mining space in the mining industry when we talk about the increase in fuel prices definitely is going to have implications and at the end of the day it, will be, it, it may not encourage investment, whilst on the other side we're asking for it, because the input costs are going to be much, and they are going to be transferred. And in one way or the other, they may lead, instead of creating more employment, they may lead to more unemployment, because then there is a need to, to offset whether we agree or we don't agree, but we have to mitigate against the, these unintended costs that are kicking in, the input costs that are kicking in. So I, I hope and I wish that uh, there will be more close interaction. Um, we see this. Uh, we may not agree on everything that you have presented, but we see this as a meaningful contribution on what we think uh, is required. It may not be only you, we must also explain. There is no criteria we use to call you as AA. It's simple because you have had your voice as an, as an institution, as an entity. So I don't want tomorrow someone says, how did you pick up AA? No, we didn't use any formula, but I'm sure now with this information, members of the committee will formulate a better strategy going forward to say what then needs to be done. How do we ensure that each and every role player uh, is making this contribution so that even from where we sit as a committee of parliament, we can make a proper, inform the recommendations of what we think could be done to mitigate again. So for now, we have not taken a position. We take the views that you have presented to us, and uh, we think they, they, they will seriously inform how we look at this thing now going forward. That's why I said we will deal with, with other issues. Uh, honorable members, uh, having said so, before I allow AA to make their closing remarks and then uh, we look on the on the next issue. Um, do you allow me to allow them to make their closing remarks? Statement.
6: Honorable
0: oh. Masale, wait a wait a bit on clue. want to make a point?
6: Yeah, allow them to make a closing statement, but in the closing statement probably share with us why they think uh, RAF should be pri- uh, privatised, wholly or semi, it doesn't matter, why should it be privatised? Thank you.
8: Okay. okay. honorable uh, Chairman, thank you uh, for the opportunity to close. Final remarks, let me start with answering the question on privatisation. We believe that the uh, involvement of a privatised entity would drive Um, the acceleration of the management of the fund and provide commercial intervention from a um, uh, privatized-based solution to provide governance and transparency in terms of how the fund is administered and to provide uh, a better output and a better outcome in terms of the way the fund is administered. I guess what we are saying is that we believe a privately um, operated entity would be more agile and more dynamic in terms of dealing with the challenges rather than its current uh, state and form. I hope that answers the question. And then in closing, thank you very much for uh, allowing us the audience and the platform to share our views. Uh, again, we are uh, cooperative in our approach and uh, we are here for the benefit of the consumer and public at large. So with that, thank you very much for the opportunity. And we are always here to avail ourselves for future forums. To provide input and also share information that we have available. Thank you very much for that.
0: Oh, okay, I assume. Uh Sometimes you, there was there was a breaking. No, thank you very much. We don't have to. We will look at different options. We we don't have to 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 agree with everything that you are raising. But I'm sure this committee is gonna deliberate uh, on what then has to be has to be done uh, from now going forward. Uh, DG, Yes, ma'am. Are you ready or... Yes, well, sir. <laughs> Honorable, honorable member said they are sitting with their water and everything next to them. I won't mention the other part, where, where they want to go there, that uh, they'll go. Are you ready? The presentation is ready. I'm just asking you. Your presentation is ready on the stage mm-hmm. of refineries.
3: Indeed, um, Honorable Chair, the presentation is ready. Uh, we can just uh, perhaps get uh, five minutes to uh, organize uh, ourselves. But we are, we are ready, uh, Honorable Chair.
0: No,
3: no, no. If you want five minutes, it means you're not ready. OK, no, no, we can shoot straight, Chair. <laughs> Did you see my we can give you also we are watching that you fly to the presentation and then you, you kick in. Yes, yes, Chair. Um, uh, no doubt. DDG? Or maybe the Secretariat from Parliament can fly to the presentation? Uh, this is not done. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, Chair, uh, without any waste of time, Chair, I'm sure you have granted us an opportunity to um start with the presentation chair is that in order
0: yes yes continue, okay. DJ.
3: Th- thank you very much honorable chair without any waste of time i would like to invite DJ maccubella to take honorable members through the presentation ddj so well,
2: th- thank you very much uh, dj thank you chair i hope i'm audible enough yes Thank you very much. Um, Basically, what uh, we are going to present uh, this uh, still morning is the state of uh, petroleum refining in South Africa. I think that uh, before I start, um, I I, I think it's important, uh, uh, Chair and honorable members, to say that uh, in our country, and then, and now, in particular, uh, it is very. Um, we need to be circumspect, all of us, about, you know, raising particular expectations, in whatever we we say, uh, and do, because things aren't as easy as they are made out to be. Um, these are complex matters. I think that, uh, I will say this without any equivocation, that uh, the South African petroleum regulatory system is amongst the best in the world. Um, I'm not saying it because I am you know, part of the team that deals with that. I say this because, from time to time, I look at other jurisdictions that do not produce oil and compare ourselves with those jurisdictions. If you were to remove the issues of fuel taxation, our regulatory, um, you know, framework is amongst the best. You know, we if if I. If I want to convey, which I will perhaps towards the end of the presentation to say that uh, if you look at basically all our trading partners, their fuel prices are much higher than ours and they are operating deregulated markets. I think it is still correct for the government to be involved In the determination of fuel prices, because that is cushioning those that are most vulnerable. Of course, there are improvements that need to be made. On the issue of uh, uh, refining, again, we need to be uh, if I move now to the next slide. We need to be quite a, a you know circumspect when we look at these issues, because we can make, it's easy to make a statements, but when you are faced with shortages of energy because of a decision that you made or was made at a particular point, responding to one particular pressure, you then plunge an economy into chaos. And this is what we try and balance um, in, the, in this sector. So by way of introduction, uh, chair and honorable members, we, we, we acknowledge that uh, South Africa relies heavily on fuel and of late, uh, we rely on fuel for power generation. Uh, there is a significant amount of diesel that is consumed uh, in power generation, and again, uh, this is an area that, um, at the time that you know the regulatory framework was developed, it had not anticipated that this would be uh, the case. Secondly, um, it was indicated earlier, even by the DG, the next step bullet points that uh, we we rely heavily on imported fuel. In fact, all our crude oil that is uh, used in the country, is basically imported uh, from from other countries. And increasingly, as I indicated in the earlier presentation, we are now seeing that we are also importing petrol and significantly diesel. Um, And that is a growing trend and is likely to get better. We don't have a proven resource. We have gas now that uh, has been discovered and is being developed uh, by, uh, is going to be developed by Total in the Southern Cape. Uh, We're excited about this because it opens up an opportunity for natural gas vehicles uh, going forward. We don't have a significant footprint of crude oil externally. Um, uh, We only have, A three percent stake in a a block in Ghana, Uh, but that is uh, really very, very little. Um, You know, we it cannot even uh, cater for 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 the the needs of the this economy. DG did indicate that there's employment of seven of uh, 110,000 people, seventy thousand of them are in the service stations, um, and uh, dispense fuel. Uh, to motorists, a very significant group of, uh, of workers which the regulatory environment continues uh, to protect. Uh, the turnover was indicated by the DG. Can we move on to the next slide? Now, in terms, in terms of uh, what we have uh, in, as a refining in the sector, we have installed capacity of 520,000 barrels per day of crude oil. Um, and it it is installed capacity. It doesn't mean that all of that capacity is currently available. And in addition, we have the CTL plant uh, owned by Sasol with a nameplate capacity of 150,000 barrels per day. And then the PetroSA plant again installed capacity 45,000 barrels per day. Um, We also have Uh, to indicate that uh, these crude oil refineries were built in the 50s and 60s, all of them, with the engine having been um, streamed in 1954. So that is the oldest refinery that uh, we have in the country. The CTL and GTL plants that I spoke to uh, Petro SA and Sasol plants were built uh, in the 80s. Next slide, please. Now, I, here I just show the ownership uh, as well as the location of these refineries. I think it's important to indicate here that uh, the refineries uh, other than PetroSA, all of them are owned by private sector companies but also then to indicate that uh, Sasol uh, basically has got ownership in two of the the refineries, one of which um, processes crude oil. Also in terms of location, uh, the two inland refineries in our view are very critical refineries because most of the demand for petroleum products is in the inland uh, market. Uh, Next slide, please. Now, currently what is happening is that we have two crude oil refineries that are not operational. Um, These are the Astron and Engine uh, Refinery, uh, one in uh, Cape Town and the other one in Devon. Now, the AstroN refinery uh, suffered what one would call a catastrophic incident, uh, which caused major damage after they had invested over a billion rand uh, in uh, upgrading the refinery. Uh, So what what was also disturbing about that was the fact that uh, we lost two of our compatriots. Uh, young engineers, um, and uh, you know, it was it was quite um, unfortunate, very unfortunate and uh, disturbing. The the other disturbing factor, as I indicated, was the fact that here was a new investor, spent over a billion rand upgrading the refinery, and then uh, you know, such an incident happened. Now. That has taken out basically that refinery. I think uh, I will talk to what is happening going forward with it. The engine refinery uh, suffered a, a fire in December, which caused extensive damage uh, to the facility. Um, the GTL facility owned by PetroSA is currently not operational. So effectively we have three refineries, two crude oil, and the gas uh, to liquid refinery that are not operational, and if you add that effectively, it uh, it takes out a third of the petroleum products, uh, gen- uh, you know, uh, producing capacity of the country being out uh, at the moment, which means that all of that capacity is currently then being uh, imported. Um, the other refineries uh, are able to operate, but again, the reason I insisted on mentioning nameplate capacity is that all of them currently operate on average at seventy-five percent. Some may be seventy-seven, and some, you know, below that. But on average, they operate at seventy-five percent of nameplate capacity. Now, what? Where do we locate this in the global environment? In so because I we we felt that we need to locate this uh, the South African environment within the global environment. There is a rationalisation currently worldwide um, of uh, refi- refineries, and uh, where. Uh, oil companies and the owners of these refineries are closing most of them down and converting them to terminals. One such uh, organization which has uh, made announcement is Shell that uh, they want to remain globally, globally now uh, with between six and eight refining centers. The rest will be turned into terminals. And currently, I mean, a shell would have anything um, up to 18 refineries that are operational. So they want to offload most of those refineries. And this is driven mainly uh, by the decarbonization strategies of most of the oil majors. Uh, Europe has actually seen most of the closures of refineries. Um, Australia has seen two refineries closing. Uh, The U.S. has also seen refineries, especially the smaller ones, closing. But Shell also closed a mega refinery in in Louisiana. Then uh, uh, refining is increasing, on the other hand, in Middle East and uh, East Asia. Most of the new refineries being built are either in Saudi Arabia or India and China. And that's where most of the the mega refineries um, are being built uh, currently. And so the markets, the supply markets, even for South Africa, are shifting. As we speak now, most of our uh, diesel imports come out of India. Now, that has got an impact, and this is a shift that has just happened because of the refineries that were built in India. Now, that, of course, has implications for us in that we have to then look at uh, the BFP to say, is this a trend that is sustainable? What does it mean for BFP? Do we need to review? But we can't just, uh, because the market has suddenly people have found cheaper fuel in India to say, okay, let's change what we have. We are now going to adopt India because I always have this view that uh, India has got over a billion people. And uh, currently the use of petroleum products in India is low, but they have a massive refining capacity. At the time that they need that fuel, they will redirect most of that export capacity towards their domestic needs. And this is something that as policy uh, 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 makers, we have to also look at. Next slide, please. Uh, Okay, if we continue on the global developments, I thought it would be important for me just to give a statistic to say that uh, we basically in refining capacity globally, Africa accounts for 3% with uh, Egypt leading the pack effectively in terms of uh, refining capacity in in the continent. Uh, We were number two um, in terms of crude oil refining. However, I think that that number two spot will soon be taken by Mr. Dangoti's refinery because of the refineries in the country being out of commission. They have built in Nigeria a mega refinery. And and we have actually begun to see some companies importing petrol Uh, from the the refinery in Nigeria. Uh, And that is something that we would welcome because uh, it then boosts uh, the intra-African trade, uh, especially because the owner of that refinery uh, resides uh, in the continent. Worldwide, I think uh, it is a fact that COVID-19 has accelerated the closure of some of the refineries um, in the in the continent in the in the world, um, and I don't think uh, we are being spared that um, as a country. So the the I did indicate this oil majors are under pressure from shareholders globally to offload, um, you know, assets that contribute to global warming. So the same phenomenon that we are, we have seen in coal, uh, where shareholders vote with the with their feet effectively uh, to say that uh, you either offload uh, these uh, CO2 emitting assets or we walk away with our money. And uh, I think uh, the, the majors themselves have responded as much as some of the mining companies have, have responded. So they they have adopted, in a net zero carbon strategies, companies like BP, um, and I think uh, similarly Shell is following, not following, but has also adopted uh, a similar strategies. The, there is also in Europe, which would also explain why in Europe the refineries are basically closing down even much faster. There is a faster transition in Europe to electric vehicles. And I think this then complicates investment plans for oil majors in particular, uh, because how do you then invest in mega refineries when the car manufacturers have stated that they will stop producing uh, internal combustion engine uh, vehicles um, by 2030, some by 2040. So this um, accelerates closures And uh, I think the responses, even in our country, of the oil majors is driven by those uh, considerations. Next slide, please. Now, what are the plans of the existing refiners? So effectively, we've had conversations and we continue to have conversations led by the DG uh, with all the oil majors, uh, without exception. Uh, the engine uh, has uh, approached us and has expressed a wish, and I think that wish now has become a board decision on their part that they want to repurpose the, the refinery into an import terminal. What does this mean? This means that the current processing of crude oil uh, in the NREF facility in Deben will stop. Now, I think that we, in our engagements, um, we we said there must be an independent review that uh, says that, uh, you know, this refinery has reached the end of its life and that, uh, you know, investing in it, actually there won't be any benefit uh, So that independent review was done, and uh, the figures were marginal. Um, Now, you cannot, you can, as a regulator, if a shareholder decides that in terms of their facility, this is what they think can best benefit uh, the shareholders, but also then uh, security of supply, you have to, consider that. Those discussions are ongoing. One commitment that we've received from them is that there will be no job losses. They have sufficient facilities and uh, businesses at engine uh, to absorb the 780 uh, permanent workers in the refinery, uh, plus also all the other, uh, I think it's about 110 Uh, that uh, support the the, the permanent workers. So they are in the process now of engaging organized labor uh, to then see, you know, how do they do that uh, uh, redeployment. The other complicating factor for engine is the fact that the, the fire caused extensive damage. So the workers even now are idling. So what they have decided is that uh, they will uh, redeploy some of those workers uh, into other activities. ASTRON, on the other hand, uh, is committed to the option of restarting the refinery. I think because this was an accident, uh, there are investigations by uh, the likes of insurers of the facility uh, to, I guess, determine if that was you know in the nature of uh, you know doing work or whether there was no negligence on the part of the company and so on so those are uh, things that are still ongoing between the insurer and the and the company the shell and bp uh, are in the process of evaluating a number of options And uh, in fact, they have decided that the best option for them would be to not to close the facility. They don't want to close the refinery. They they want somebody else to operate. Now, what this does, of course, is that it reduces for both Shell and BP the number of uh, facilities that a carbon uh, emitting that uh, sit within their stable. So they have an interest in the uh, refined petroleum product, uh, but uh, they themselves would not want to operate that facility. So a process uh, is currently underway uh, to look for a suitable a person or in the name of a, a company that can actually operate and that they are doing independently uh, as, as shareholders of Shell and BP. I think, uh, Chair and Honourable Members, we, we prefer this option rather than a closure or converting of a refiner. If there can be somebody else to operate the refinery optimally, Uh, then it's better for South Africa because we don't lose in terms of security of supply because we only talk about uh, petrol and diesel, but there's jet fuel, which is quite sensitive. So you can imagine if you bring jet fuel into the country and it's off spec, that then causes a number of challenges uh, for the country in terms of operating airlines. Uh, then on PetroSA, they there are plans to obtain feedstock uh, for the refinery. Um, what I think here, I must say, is that at the time that the refinery stopped operating, they were already uh, producing about um, between fifteen to eighteen thousand barrels per day. Um, we feel the absence of the refinery, but it's not as significant as the first two. Uh, Sasol and Total, on the other hand, have not indicated any major changes in strategy. I think what we've heard from uh, Sasol in particular is that uh, there's going to be a lot more emphasis on uh, reducing um, the carbon footprint. Uh, that would mean that uh, you know they, they, they may be considering the feedstock uh, changing the feedstock um, that is used uh, in one of the facilities, but uh, we we keep we are engaging them on a regular basis and in fact uh, uh, dg has got monthly engagements with uh, with all these uh, uh, companies and the What are the implications then on security of supply? We think that uh, Uh, Chair and Honorable Members, that this needs to be a managed process. Um, We we, we did engage, um, led by the Minister with Shell and BP, Um, also Minister uh, met with the engine shareholders from Petronas. Um, This is all part of a process of managing how this, transition is happening uh, so that we don't just wake up and we have new shareholders uh, and uh, we have uh, refineries closing all over the place. So it does have impact on security of supply um, if you don't manage the closure of refineries carefully. So one of the things that uh, I did mention Is that uh, petrol and diesel is the only thing that we think about? But there is paraffin that you know the closure of Nref actually created uh, paraffin shortages in 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 the in the the East Coast, particularly Eastern Cape and uh, KZN. But of course now that has been is being catered for through imports. the two incidents. So you have two fires, you have two refineries closing, but you don't have shortages of fuel. In our view, it uh, it really to some extent demonstrates the, the robustness of the supply system that we have. We think that that investment in the new multi, uh, multi-purpose pipeline uh, was basically um, you know, a very good decision because now we can bring fuel inland directly from imports if something happens to the refineries. The, there is a need um, uh, for continuous improvements of performance uh, in terms of our ports. I think there was a discussion on demarrage in the last presentation. So it is important that we have efficient ports uh, otherwise, uh, any delay on imports uh, does impact uh, the economy. We were in this committee some few years ago to defend the e- new import terminal that uh, was built in Cape Town when one of the majors was actually opposed to it. Now, that actually has become a savior even for that major that was opposed to that at the time. Uh, We did say at the time that it is important to have import um, uh, terminals built in the country. There have been investments in Cape Town, Devon. There is one now that is uh, being uh, proposed for the Kukha area uh, because the Port Elizabeth facility uh, will be closing uh, soon and be converted into a waterfront. So a new import terminal will then be built in, uh, in the Kuha area. Uh, Richards Bay and Maputo are, are quite key. There's been a number of investments, particularly on LPG in Richards Bay, uh, to such an extent that uh, we believe that uh, if we manage the, the, you know, the imports properly, there shouldn't be any shortage of uh, uh, LPG in the inland market uh, because of that massive uh, facility in Richards Bay. The Maputo uh, in Mozambique has also become an important supply route for the country. And so whatever we lose in the refineries that are closing, you you um, you are able to bring Block trains from Maputo uh, into the into the inland market, but also then through road, you are also able to to supply out of Maputo. So what happens uh, really in this in this northern part of Mozambique, we do say, you know uh, trust that it does not filter down to the southern part because then that begins to have an impact on our a security of supply as well. The other implications are that uh, in terms of socioeconomic now is that uh, refineries um, have an average of a thousand employees. So any closure immediately has an impact on a thousand employees, unless those employees can be, you know, something can be found for them. And that would need to also be sustainable and to be equivalent. So you would not want people to move, and then they have uh, less, uh, you know, uh, meaningful employment, uh, especially in terms of their benefits. The closure of refineries does lead to deindustrialization, and this is something also that we need to um, internalize. You, just candles. Uh, the closure of refine, of uh, the NREF facilities means that the wax that is used for candles, uh, the candle making factory effectively threatened. I mean, these are things that uh, we take for granted, but this is the reality. So you lose also engineering expertise. What do you do to those mechanical engineers, the chemical engineers uh, that are busy studying now uh, they have less opportunities when they leave uh, university because there's far less work in import terminals than there is in a in a refinery um, then the other issue is that we import high value products so instead of importing crude and adding value to the crude we then have to import high value refined products so these would be your you know, your petrol and diesel, when it's imported, it's of higher value. And that has got impact on uh, balance of payment, a higher one uh, because of that margin. You also now have to import base chemicals uh, that are used, to your you know, your benzene, say, your toluene and uh, xylene and all of that. Those would need to be imported uh, because the refiner is no longer producing them then uh, bitumen for our road infrastructure becomes impacted. And I think very importantly, I think, for the likes of ESCOM is fuel oil. Because when a a power plant goes down to restart it, you need uh, fuel oil. Now, that, I think, uh, is an area that, of course, we know ESCOM has has started looking at uh, uh, investing in, uh, you know, storage facilities for fuel oil because I think they have realized that this can will not be readily available as they need it uh, going forward. So uh, as I move towards conclusion, uh, what are the policy considerations? I think we need to accept, uh, chair and honourable members, that the there are changes globally and we are not immune to those changes. Um, So there are changes in mobility requirements which have been made worse by COVID-19. So people are working from home. So the demand for liquid fuels has reduced. Um, And that phenomenon is likely to be with us uh, for perhaps the foreseeable future. There is also electrification of the transport fleet. So, um, I mean, the countries like Finland, um, I don't think that uh, you know, the, the way that the electric vehicles have penetrated that market, they basically uh, are having less discussions and sleepless nights about uh, petroleum products. So these are having impact on the policy choices. And these are things that we have to engage and discuss as a count. Kind of what do they mean? We want to say that uh, we should avoid at all costs um, the closure of an additional refinery. Mm-hmm. And that needs to really not happen. The, the one realization we've come to is that uh, not all existing refining capacity can be saved forever. And I think that uh, we need to prepare that as this closure closes, do we have something that will make sure that we don't have shortages? Um, very importantly, the inland refineries are very key to security of supply. Because unlike other economies, our economic hub is in the inland. And uh, so even the biggest requirements in terms of jet fuel is the OR-Tambo Airport. If you were to lose a natra, for example, um, you then impact the ability to supply OR-Tambo with jet fuel immediately. So I think these are some of the policy uh, considerations that we have to uh, contend with and have solutions for. We think that the restarting of the Astron refinery is desirable. And uh, we we continue to engage with Astron to find out uh, how far the discussions are and when the repairs can start. The restarting of Mosel Bay is critical for gas utilization. We're saying this because there's gas that has been found by Total um, in in the Southern um, Cape. The natural market for perhaps uh, um, a, a percentage of that is the GTL refinery. So restarting that refinery and perhaps not quickly converting it into a liquid is, uh, you know, is, the, way, is the best way to go. Um, and I know that at some point there were uh, considerations of converting it to a liquid uh, processing facility. We don't believe that uh, there is a need for that now because the gas is there. There's no doubt about it. And it's sufficient enough to sustain. I think what we need to then have a discussion on is how quickly that gas gets developed and produced so that it can feed that refinery. The, The robust management of imports, I think our discussions with Transnet because uh, they are the ones who manage the ports. So we need to make sure that there's traffic flow Uh, because there are going to be a number of vessels now coming into Devon. There are a number of vessels coming into Cape Town um, because of the closure of Astron. So we need to manage, really manage that. But also we need to make sure that people don't take advantage uh, of the import a framework to disadvantage the local refineries, because then we will accelerate their um, closure. Uh, Because if they cannot place their product in the market, then uh, there won't be a need for them to continue to operate. I think uh, lastly on this policy consideration is something that we really have to engage with, that as a country, we need to be decisive On natural gas vehicles, we need to move. On electric vehicle entry, we need to move. Hydrogen fuel, I think there's there's already a movement there. Uh, We've seen the likes of Anglo. We've seen the likes of Sasol. And, you know, there's there's movement there. But uh, we need to make sure that we we encourage and uh, sustain that because we have sufficient platinum to can um, you know uh, support any hydrogen based uh, uh, fuel uh, going forward. Then then the alternative, if we don't do all of these other things, we then have to build a mega refinery. Now. We need to then to balance that mega refinery against the future that is envisaged by car manufacturers of not having um, internal combustion engines by certain years. So these are policy choices that uh, need to be made, but on all of them, whichever one we choose, we need to be decisive. In conclusion, uh, Chair, honorable members, we are saying that Global, global petroleum refining is undergoing fundamental changes, very fundamental, and we are not immune. Uh, decarbonization is a driving factor uh, of the oil majors. Uh, we, we did indicate that at least one crude oil refinery is likely to close. Uh, one refinery will change oper- oper- ownership but will remain operational. The imports of refined products will increase significantly in the short to medium term. Uh, We think that uh, uh, investment on import infrastructure is a no regret option. Um, And and that this is something that we also have to internalize. Um, I think we then are saying that we must use all these changes as opportunities to broaden local ownership of petroleum infrastructure, local ownership, as well as the transformation of the petroleum sector. I think this is a significant opportunity because there are changes. If we miss this one, I think uh, uh, the future generations Will not forgive um, us. Uh, with that, uh, Chairperson uh, would like to thank you.
3: Uh, thank you very much, uh, DDG. Uh, chair, uh, that is uh, a detailed presentation uh, from the DDG. Thank you very much. Over to you, Chair.
0: Thank you, DDG. Thank you, your DDG. And that's <laughs> the uh, list of Osama Kobedova and Mazasa teaching. Any longer, they will tell me. Honorable members, there is the presentation. Uh, any take? I see the hand of Honorable Milan. Okay, it seems that's the only end for now. Honorable over. yes. Okay, I'll see others on the way. Honorable Mela.
7: Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Mr. Makubela for your presentation. Um, it was most informative. Um, I'm very concerned about the fact that that over 40% of our refining capacity is currently offline and that we're having to import refined fuels. now. What I don't know and what we didn't really pick up in this presentation is what is the cost differential between imported refined fuels and locally produced refined fuels? Is there a differential? Um, I, I, I don't know. And I would I would really like to get a better feel whether it's cheaper to refine crude locally or to import already refined products. Um the second question that I have relates to uh, the presentation kind of hammered home that there's a need for mega refineries. But around the world, we're seeing a lot of, of small refineries that are uh, addressing niche markets or niche communities. And in this regard, I'd like to know what the department is doing to encourage the um, companies, small companies, uh, new entrants to the market to establish their own refining capacity. And I'm not talking about refining from crude or from gas, um, but from other products. Now, one of the things that, that concerns me is that uh, section 2b, subsection 6 of the Petroleum Products Act limits production of, of petroleum products to coal natural gas and vegetable matter. And I think that that definition probably needs to be expanded. Uh, it, it does make provision for the fact that those should be procured first before other products. But I think that there's an opportunity, especially as technology has improved significantly since 2003, when that amendment was was uh, uh, moved, that the the definition or the limitation be expanded to allow, for example, uh, the generation of of diesel from waste materials. So, uh, chairperson, those are my comments. Thank you.
0: Thank you, honourable madam Honourable parliament,
9: Thank you very much, chairperson. I have about six, seven points. Um, I do not have the slides, unfortunately, so I'll just go through the presentation as it is. Um, I think the first one it is. Um, on the issue of um, the two refineries that had to close uh, because of fires. Um, and I remember when we did our oversight in, I think it was Saldana if I'm not mistaken. Um, and SFF, um, they, they, they showed us, or they told us about their, their alarm system that they were using, um, which seemed very um, proactive if I may put it that way and very effective as well. Um, and I just wanted to perhaps um, look into whether we could look into making sure that similar technologies can be used in all the refineries. Um, and maybe we can make sure that, that that also becomes part of the health and safety regulations. Because not only are we losing infrastructure, but we're also losing human lives, and therefore we're losing breadwinners. Um, So if we could look into those technologies so that we make sure that the fires that are ravaging our refineries could actually be detected on time and they could be stopped on time, that is one. And then the second one, I think it's the one of um, the rationalization of refineries um, with the fact that worldwide, that is the trend. However, um, Middle East and East Africa are actually looking into increasing um, their refineries and then also that India and China are also looking into creating like a major, mega refineries. I understand that South Africa at this point in time, it is still contemplating where it should go. But I just wanted to find out when we weigh um, um, the pros and cons of going with the world, which is far advanced than we are in terms of resources um, and in terms of everything compared to um, what I would then say it's this... um booming economies or countries that were third world countries at one point like we were, would it not maybe make sense for us to actually model their approach um, to, to, to the refineries. Um, and then number three, I think the presentation spoke about um, the importance of, of, of Richards Bay and uh, Maputo um, in particular. I understand that we we're supposed to have a meeting yesterday Um, and the chairperson did um, outline why we could not have that meeting. But I just wanted to find out um, there as well, uh, considering the fact that we have said that Maputo is actually very key um, in also assisting in addressing some of the challenges that we are having with refineries. Um, What is the conversation that DMRE is having around the crisis that is in Mozambique? Um, And then also, I just wanted to say as well that perhaps um, in addition to, I I think I agree and I welcome um, the closing remarks of um, DDG as well um, on the fact that we really need to take this opportunity, number one, to ensure that as we build up this industry going forward, we must make sure that transformation happens. And we also need to push very hard for the local ownership of these refineries because, there's no better time for us to do that. But I also just wanted to perhaps um, look into that as much as we need to maintain what we have right now in terms of the refineries that South Africa has, we really need to also have the conversation concurrently and not separately about the need to invest um, in renewable energy resources because, That is basically where everyone is going right now. I think we're we're even speaking about that. Even the cars that are being produced, they'll be using electricity, they'll be using renewable energy and all these things. So we also need to also have those conversations concurrently because in most cases, we actually have these these two conversations um, in silos. And then um, number five as well, I think it is important that um, as we are having this conversation as well about refineries, we really need to look into producing as much skills um, that will make sure that whatever um, trajectory we take into, uh, we have enough people and enough skills set to actually uh, see through um, whatever ventures we we take. Um, And therefore, I would actually also say that maybe we should look into the establishment of an independent um, research institute, uh, which would, prioritize uh, research on energy security and support, and then it would also, or oh, and support um, energy infrastructure planning. And then this could also just may perhaps be done uh, in collaboration with DHET uh, and the Ministry of Science and Technology, um, where we should also have like specialized courses that will look into specific skills that we project we will need in the future. And not only that, but we also need to establish industries um, that will manufacture all the equipment and technologies that will be needed for uh, our energy supplies going forward, which means that some of the courses uh, that must be in that institute must actually look into these so that we do not actually have an idea, but now we don't have the skills to actually implement them. And then I think that is all from me for now, um, Chairperson, thank you very much.
5: Okay, DJ. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Uh, Mr. Matkubela?
2: Thank you, DJ. Thank you, Honorable Chair. And thanks, Honorable members. Uh, Maybe let let, let me start with the questions from Honorable Mylem. The, what we were trying to say on the issue of uh, Uh, Okay, let me start with the first question. I think the BFP, where we actually can uh, demonstrate that it is adequate, it it, uh, rewards adequately, is the fact that no player in the market has come back to us to say, I cannot import petroleum products competitively into the into the market. So there's been no um, request for any changes or adjustments done, uh, which then for us, you know, is an indication that a BFP adequately caters for imports as well. So it is really an import parity uh, price. So we don't believe that uh, we, you know, the consumer is going to be impacted negatively by imports in terms of pricing. However, we need to monitor the impact on uh, the security of supply. And uh, how we deal with that is, the, is by building um, you know, infrastructure, storage inland, as well as the import terminals uh, on the coast. We are not saying uh, that we need a mega uh, refinery uh, in the country. Um, We we think that there is room for that. Uh, We do, however, say that uh, given the move to electric vehicles, we need to think about that very uh, carefully, uh, we had we had been very excited when Saudi Aramco had decided that uh, they would build a refinery in uh, in Richards Bay. However, when COVID struck, they then, as we indicated earlier, they they cut fifty percent of their uh, uh, capital expenditure. So I think the you know that that is still a, an option. However, I think everyone now is looking at all this whole decarbonization drive, but also the, uh, the fact that there'll be electric vehicles coming in in the next decade. The I think opportunity for refiners is there. We would welcome uh, discussions with anyone who wants to uh, build uh, a, a refinery in the country of any uh, kind. Um, we, as I indicated, we're having discussions now on, um, you know, on hydrogen fuel with the likes of Anglo and and and, Sasso. Um, and and, of course, you know, at the right time, because these are listed companies, the, the the announcements would then uh, be made. But the discussions are not about uh, refineries as, as such, but it's about how do we support, you know, uh, hydrogen uh, the hydrogen economy going forward, what needs to be in place. Very importantly, the issue of skills that was raised by Honorable Matok is part of that discussion to say that we are not going to import the skills. The skills must be local. And and those are the discussions that we're having. Um, We would want to thank Honorable Mailem because I think there is an opportunity then to amend the act. We will look at that uh, because if it is inhibiting, it's something that we we need to, uh, to look at um so on the issue of the fires we i think the the one fire at because you deal with volatile um you know uh substances the fire at uh, uh astron was actually an explosion and and so Uh, We, I think most of the companies have invested a lot on fire detection equipment, Uh, but that one, you know, from time to time, unfortunately, in fact, globally, you have these uh, incidents in refineries. I think there was one uh, recently in... uh, very unfortunate one, I think, in Indonesia. Uh, and I think uh, technologies are always being uh, added to detect the leakages of chemicals as happens in the mining uh, sector as well. But uh, that one, is, as I said, it was is still under investigation as to exactly what caused such a catastrophic uh, explosion. The fire in uh, in engine did not result in uh, any loss of life. No one was injured, uh, fortunately. But of course, it did damage um, the the refinery to a significant um, extent. But we take note of the need to look at the fire protection. And this is an area that the Department of Employment and Labor through the chief inspector of uh, machinery uh, is always looking at the, I think the, the on the refining, why Middle East uh, and East Asia? In the Middle East, they are building refineries because they have crude oil. So Saudi Arabia. Took a decision that instead of exporting just oil, they will beneficiate their own oil in their country and export it. So they've also invested in these mega refineries in, in their own country. Similarly, I think the decision that was taken by Mr. Tangoti in uh, Nigeria was to say, we have oil in Nigeria, but we are importing a petroleum product. So he then decided to invest in, uh, in refining capacity closer to the well. Uh, and this is something that when I said, it would be a shame if the PetroSA Facility is not taking advantage of the gas that's going to be produced in a well that is close to them. So similarly, I think as we find uh, hydrocarbons, let's make use of them, let's beneficiate them in our country, and so far, we've only found gas um, through total uh, in this country. The East Asia, I think the issue there is about the distance from the countries that produce uh, crude oil. I think India and China took a decision that with their population, as well as uh, industrialization drive, they will invest in refining. What was interesting about India is that those refineries are built as export refineries. So they are not built uh, to supply the domestic market. They were built as export refineries and they are really exporting But I believe that at some point they will tend those export refineries as their need for petroleum products uh, increases. In our country, I think that, uh, I will say this, the mtombo refinery should have happened. If we had gone ahead with mtombo refinery at the time, we would not be where we are. Uh, today and uh, we I think that investment would have sufficiently paid for itself before the electric vehicles come in. I think the difficulty now is that you then say, given that we are going to have hydrogen fuel, we're going to have you know a natural gas uh, vehicles, do you really, can you really sustain a mega refinery? Uh, I don't have an answer to that, but these are questions that we have to answer because somebody will, 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 will ask them. Maputo, I think uh, the government continues to engage with the government of uh, Mozambique. Uh, we, we have made our concerns uh, quite clear. Uh, through the through the through the DG, about what um, an escalation downwards of that uh, challenge would mean for us, and we think that the right authorities know exactly what uh, Mo- Mozambique means for for South Africa's energy security. Um, the The issue of transformation, definitely, I think we if we live, lose this opportunity, mm-hmm. then. Uh, I, I think that we will not be knowing what we are doing. Really, we on skills, uh, we, as I indicated in all our discussions with uh, uh, you know all the companies, but mentioned just Anglo and Sasso, we are talking about the need for you know to to develop local skills and local companies that can manufacture the components. That are going to be used uh, in these uh, uh, in these industries. Uh, I we do ac- acknowledge the fact that renewables, particularly in in this case, the move to hydrogen uh, fuel uh, is something that we must accept that is happening. Electric vehicles. I think we need to be more decisive there, because. Um, it is a matter of time before there are no internal combustion engines. Um, and, and then you know, we need to make sure that we're ready for that. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chair and honorable members. Thanks, DJ. Thank
3: you, DDG. Thanks, Chair.
0: OK. Uh, I don't know. I see the end of honorable Matoga, but I saw that it had not gone down since that time. I assume is the old one. Um, <clears throat> honorable members, uh, if you allow me, can I make the following proposal? That having received these reports, and um, Mostly and mainly, we will request the secretariat, together with um, the, together with um, the researcher in this case on the energy side, umabota, to just work out a sort of a compiled report. On the two presentations and highlight the key uh, proposal areas, and then we will have a discussion ourselves as a committee. Now, so that we don't just get the presentations, but as a committee, we'll get um, to 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 have a proper discussion. I think two things that will have to emerge out of that discussion. The first one is that what are the immediate issues or interventions that needs to be made um, in dealing with those issues? What are the term uh, issues that we think in the, um, not in the immediate, but in the near future, we, we need to respond to? Um, for an example, we may, feel that for now, this is what has to be done, taken as an immediate intervention. Um, but we may feel that some of those issues may not respond on this now, but they have to be considered. For an example, whether local or domestic taxi, taxation is something that uh, we think it must be taken with uh, extreme agency or it should be from the medium Uh, approach, there are issues that uh, could be a little bit of a longer term or mid-long term, like uh, if there is a need for an amendment on legislation or on policy issues, we must be able to look at those issues. But lastly, we must look at long term. There are issues of technological advancement, there are issues of long-term investment, whether you talk about Um, other further consideration in terms of the alternative, your hydro energy, yes, hydro fuel, or whatever that is in that package. I think that's what will help the committee now to make a proper determination. There are, the reason I was saying in short term or medium term, there are issues that may fall outside the ambit of this committee, but in the current, they require the attention of the committee. Like for instance, I was raising part of the report that was raised were reforms or uh, reinforcements that required to be considered. Uh, we may not be the committee on transport, but how do we deal with the issue of uh, uh, road safety regulations, uh, including issues that relate to the 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 the. The, the, the lack of safety nets, as far as public funds are concerned. So they may not fall on us, but we can be able to make concrete proposals of what needs to be refined in the meantime. For an example, what is it that we can do to strengthen the regulations with regards the issue of um, the provision of driver's licenses, Uh, safety, training, and so forth, and all those issues. There could be other long-term issues uh, that uh, members were talking about, um, which we must put a better way of packaging them, uh, whether we say completely overhaul the fuel pricing system that we are having, bring in new legislations uh, that, uh, or regulations that, will um, put, for example, diesel as, uh, as one of the strategic areas that will require to be a little bit much more regulated. So I'm just saying, if, if that team can work on this thing um, for the first, so that we have got a structured discussion that provides clarity of direction, that this is the direction from a committee point of view we are taking. We will try and expect that, that process other members, if we can do it early next week. Uh, but I don't want to, to promise next week now. But uh, we need to take this with the extreme agency that it deserves. Two other issues that we think are, are, are critical process-wise is whether we is it allowed or will come back even if we leave the, the, that proposal it can be considered. Will already have done a little bit of uh, administrative research work on it. Whether we should get a not not a too open process, but a two-pronged process. One a process where we can put our heads together in a much more broader consultative meeting. Um, some will call it a workshop, others will call it a, a symposium, whatever or a, um, a, a, a different uh, meeting, uh, whether you call it a colloquium, I don't think I'm more interested. But where we could put all our heads together, the one of the once we look at that, we also must be looking at to what extent can we broaden the views without a long process, just broadening the views. In terms of a consultative exercise, I don't want to use the word public hearings because there could be too much interest on that. But a very uh, streamlined, manageable process uh, of uh, how best opinions can be processed, so that when we finally make a a determination and a recommendation, we would have had to some degree. a broader uh, interaction uh, and then see from where now we have got these different views from different people um, and then uh, this is what we think has to happen. I, I, I think for me, that is, a, that is if, if members allow us the, to, to follow that road, we'll come back with a report, that will be looking at all the issues that has been raised so far, categorize them And then as a committee, we deliberate on those issues in the form of a report. And and then I was suggesting that amongst other things, we may not discuss it now, when we come back, we can look on a very shortened further process of uh, getting more other views, but in a very uh, consolidated, if if that word is correct, very consolidated managed process of getting a little bit of, um, maybe we allow some few submissions if there are people who can make submissions as alternatives, and based on that, they can then help us to start uh, looking at this issue much deeper um, and to honorable members. Then when we meet next week, even if we are not uh, dealing with this issue, we will then give a, a, a response to members and, and be able to, if we can finalize it in that report, By next week, we will just distribute the report to honorable members so that they can start familiarizing themselves with that report. Before we go to a committee discussion, both on the contents of what it says, based on what was presented, we have not discussed, we don't know what are the opinion or the views of uh, other members. We may even consider that uh, beyond this committee only, we might need to give an opportunity to other committees who may be impacted upon on these issues that were that that we are proposing? For an example, one might argue and say it might good give more of an added advantage if you move um, the, the, the 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 what is this this the uh, RAF the road accident fund you move it there because the more any other form of transportation that is produced that has got a potential to be involved or to cause uh, an accident it can then from the word go be the one and therefore it will it may be more effective compared to the current system that we are using i'm just i'm just saying that uh, that there could be such an argument that is being made so 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 if members agree we can then present if uh, the next week, how far, if we happen by the course of this week to do that work, we will indicate to members in time, on time, and then we'll take that process forward. Do do members uh, support such an idea? If you are if you are silent, you were supposed to finish at half past four. I will wait here until half past four. Honorable uh Mylam, and I see the hand of uh, still on Honorable Matok. Honorable Maylam.
7: Chairperson, I agree with you. Let's let's move forward.
0: Okay, any second what honorable Maylam says? Yes, second chair. OK, thank you, Honourable Lorima. We will come back to you. We will discuss as a committee. We will agree on a way forward how to edit this thing. We will do it expeditiously as possible. It's a pending issue for the country. And um, is there any other matter, Ari, before I go and close the meeting, beside the announcement on the next meeting next week,
1: Nothing from sir.
0: Okay, Honorable members. Uh, next week, we are dealing with the issue of um, the electricity. Uh, and and uh, what do you call it? Uh, the risk adjustment. Yes. Yes. Um. That is what we'll be dealing with. When uh, what is the date, area? I don't want to mention a date.
8: Tuesday the 20th at 9 o'clock?
0: Yes, we will be dealing with that, Honourable Members. Uh, until such time, time, uh, you are released very early from the time that was allocated. To the Department, thank you very much uh, for uh, 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 being here. And uh, so is the same to the to AA. We appreciate uh, your presence. The meeting stands adjourned. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair.
5: Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair.